Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal podcast with Rev Taylor and Darren Wall. Reviews, interviews, and conversation since 2021. Hello and welcome back once again to episode 14. Holy shit, that's almost like if we did it for two weeks straight, this would be... (laughs) the two-week mark, but episode 14 of Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal podcast. It's Sunday night, time to grab yourself a choice beverage. Mine this week is a big, giant Imperial Stout from Matchless Brewing. It is big, bold, and boozy, and quite delicious. Um, So, yeah, that's a good time. Uh, We're going to have a good time today talking about some some heavy metal, our picks of the week, and then uh, we'll just keep it rolling with all the nerdery and all the fun. So, um, with me as always, my co-host, co-host Rev Taylor. How are you, brother? Doing all right. Yeah, this is the first time I think ever we've done the podcast when there's still daylight in the sky. So that's interesting. The days that's, are getting longer. It's kind of, that's, that is different. Um, yep. And as promised last week, we do have a very special guest this week. Uh, this guy is a former bandmate of mine. Uh, he still plays in Skeletor and he's in another band called Yelvik, Mr. Rob Steinway. Rob, welcome to the show. How you doing, brother? Good evening. Good evening. I'm doing pretty well. How are you guys doing? No yeah. complaints, man. Talking yeah. about metal, I've got a beer in my hand. So, you know, it's Sounds all Sounds like a good way to spend the evening. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's so, yeah. why we're here. So, yeah, so I, like I said, me and Rob got a bit of history together. We were, I guess I was in Skeletor probably for about three, three and a half years, something like that. Yeah, like so. 2017 to 2020? Something like that, yeah. So about three, there's three and a bit. So, uh, yeah, we've been up and down the road, had some times, recorded a, an album and a single. I'm pretty proud of that time, and I think... Probably the best time I had in Skeletor was actually recording bass at Rob's house. That was like yes, in my in my basement. <laughs> yeah, that was an absolute blast, man. That was that was a lot of fun. That's where the term Carl Logan Scud missiles came from. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what you think it means. It's, it refers That's to his good. it refers to his guitar slides that he always yeah. does on yes. his dial up nineties modem guitar tone. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So, uh, speaking of, and we have a very interesting album to talk about this week. We are talking about the new Agent Steel record. Much anticipated, uh, much maligned, much division surrounding it, uh, called No Gods Before Me. Gods. 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 Always with a Z. And that's, that's like an Agent Steel thing, right? Like, there's a track on Skeptic's Apocalypse that has gods spelled that way, right? Yes. So yeah, exactly. Leave so, for the gods. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so this album came out on the 19th of March. So it's not even a month old yet uh, of this year. It was on, on something called Dissonance Productions. That's a, I don't know much about that label at all, but as a band, they've been around since 84. So these guys are old school. Um, they got six full lengths, one EP, several demos. Um, man, there's just been like, this band has a crazy history because there's just so many lineup changes there was a, a different lineup without john cyrus in the band um and they changed you know, names because changed, of other reasons and then yeah, they, back they, and yeah they disbanded there's been like you know then they've gotten back together and then there's been delays for various reasons but anyway so now he's now and then you had this band without john cyrus in the mix for so many years and then finally he comes back with a new lineup that he's the only one bearing any resemblance to an original member of. And everybody else in this band, I believe joined in 2019 or later for this current album. Mm-hmm. 
So I looked up the uh, the band, and it's a remarkably international situation. We've got uh, a Bulgarian guy on one guitar. We've got, I think, a, a Brazilian guy on the other guitar. We've got a Dane on the drums. And we've got a Japanese bassist. International so, band. Yeah, this is it's representing the people of Earth, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, that brings us to the next point. You know, uh, John Cyrus is kind of like the Agent Mulder of metal, as Rob put it to me the other day. <laughs> yes, he is. You know, um, he has a very strong belief in, in aliens and conspiracies, and it's nothing new. I mean, this goes back to the old style, this is the old school records they made. But I guess maybe we never really knew how into it he was back then. Um, or maybe we did. Just it's just been a little more pronounced in everyone's face in recent years. Maybe I, like people thought it was a bit. Maybe like because they wore like the outfits on stage that were kind of like the NASA spacesuits and stuff like that at one point, didn't they? Kind of. Yeah, it makes total sense as a bit. Like it, you know, especially <laughs> in those days, and you know, there's a lot of different metal bands starting up, and everybody wanted to find their own angle. I mean, just like today, and it seems like a perfectly good angle that no one had used before, but. Yeah, now it definitely seems like that is a sincerely held um, conviction on his part. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, there, there's a lot of interesting circumstances and, and thoughts that people have surrounding this album, which why I say it's much maligned. Like, there was the dissolution of the Bruce Hall band that was going on a couple of years ago. Then John Cyrus comes out of nowhere, doesn't consult his other bandmates at all, and starts this new lineup. So people are going, well, fuck this guy or fuck the other guy. And then everyone's divided on it then he, there was all kinds of bs like around festival appearances yeah, the keep the kids true appearance yeah there was the keep the, all the drama with that and there was a couple other festivals that were they didn't they didn't make it for whatever reason i don't know the all the i can't recall all the details but he's been making headlines for and i'm not putting without putting on a single album or really playing very many gigs for the last couple of years just based on his personality yeah, I looked online and I literally couldn't find anything other than demos that he's done basically since 1987. So yeah. 34 years. Mm -hmm. So it's a long time to be quiet and not be really releasing any new music or putting together an album. Or be, yeah, I'd be part of a band and then come back and be like, oh, by the way, this is Age of Steel now. <laughs> you yeah, know, which right. is kind of why people feel a little bit funny about it, I guess. Um, but to me, like the old school agent, I mean, those old school agent steel albums are pretty awesome in my opinion. I mean, yes. they're definitely like mood music for me, but this, when, when people talk about, again, this term speed metal is going to come up and like, to me, speed metal is a very specific term and agent steel is one of the bands that can actually like claim to be a true speed metal band. Like they were doing it in the mid eighties. They were in that kind of brief time before thrash became a, ter a term, um, and the riffs are just like, man, it's a million miles an hour. It's super complex, very muted picking that, that like production that sounds like it's almost like recorded in a vacuum, but in a, in a cool way. Like it's uh, just really frantic stuff. Yeah. And then too, his vocals are just <coughs> insane there. He's hitting high notes all over the place and just like really just balls out powerful singing, maybe a little bit, nasally a little bit high but just amazing vocal performances it definitely throughout. yeah definitely gets your attention not the most nuanced performance um, oh yes <laughs> but, not uh, subtle <laughs> yeah um then or now although um yeah. or maybe it's just that the nuances are so bizarre 
in the yes. at least in the modern. We'll, we'll get to that though. We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm mainly referring to the older shit now. But you know, they this is a real speed metal band. Um, there's no, there's there, there's no false claim in, in in that aspect. These guys are true speed metal. Um, so, but moving on, we're not talking about the old ones. We're talking about the new ones. Um, and let's just kind of call this album what it is. It's a bit of a hot mess. Um, but I found it kind of an endearing hot mess myself. Like I kind of, I like parts of it and it depended on what day it was. It was a very interesting thing. Like I listened to it and some days I'd be like, yeah, this is actually pretty badass." and other days I'd be like, this is annoying. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> um, so that's possibly mainly because of the bizarre vocal performance. Um, I actually think riff wise, it's a bit, I don't know what you guys felt, but I think it's a bit more restrained than their older stuff, like musically. Yeah, the interesting thing that I, I kind of noted was I was listening to the album a couple times. I listened to it eight times, so probably a couple times too many in, in the span of like five or six days, but <laughs> I really noticed that it seemed like the band was in a, I don't know if it's in a box or just they they were like, laying the groundwork for these vocals to be laid on top of it. Not to say that the, the songs are, are competent, um, but the, it just seems like they're very, they had like a tight space they were to operate in. And there's just no going out of that at all. Like the yeah. production is very pristine for the drums, the bass, the guitar. It's no frills, no special effects, no fancy stuff. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, it, I guess it wouldn't be the most memorable thing in the world if it were just an instrumental album or if it had a different singer. Um, I, I guess the the emotion that I experienced probably predominantly was dislike, although I did uh, I did enjoy aspects of it. Um, but I will say that it's not something I would. It's not something you're going to mistake for anything else. And in a way, like I, I always just have to respect that that like it's not in, in there, there are ways in which it's really not generic and if you hear that you're gonna be like oh yeah it's that one agent steel album because i haven't really heard anything that sounds exactly like it and i hope i don't really hear anything like it again but <laughs> 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 but you know what <laughs> I'm, I'm glad i did because you know it's another experience to have <laughs> i i think i actually texted darren this week or maybe it was last week at some point saying, I really can't wait to hear what Rev has to say about the vocals. Yeah. Because like the vocals just full stop are, are over the top in every way possible. Like yeah. the performance, the, the production, like the effects, the everything about them. It's just they're It's over the top. It's overproduced. It's just crazy how I don't know. Yeah. There's, you know, I, I just thought it'd be a lesson to, to every aspiring metal singer that there is too, there is such a thing as too many layers of yourself. You can, <laughs> yeah. you can, you can put so much in there that it just becomes really confusing and uh, kind of overwhelming to listen to it because there's not any space to just like stop and consider what you just heard because it's all coming at you all the time. Um, so that's one thing. And then once we get into the actual physical production of the voice, there's a lot of stuff that's pretty weird. Um, it is very, very uh, nasal and forward placed um, to an extent that 
sounds pretty uncomfortable to me. It's very weird because like there's a vibrato wise, he's either singing pretty much completely straight tone or there's like a, a wide vibrato that, that varies, you know, sometimes by like a full half step or more. And to, to the point where I'm not sure how much that's a choice, how much that's what his voice is doing because it's, you know, he's not singing in a healthy way or whether that's something he's actually just doing for effect because he thinks it sounds interesting. Um, and, that's, the and, old, that's the old Honda motorcycle starting to, trying to start. Yeah, ah! right. It's, ex it's exactly how it sounds. Uh, and then there's like all of these layers of effects on the voice that, you know, certainly sounds like auto-tune. It sounds like what happens when you auto-tune a note to the point where it's no longer recognizable as a human voice. But um, I don't know if that's because there were pitch issues in the recording or just because he wants to sound like a freaky alien voice or both. I'm not really sure. It seems like it's being used as a choice rather than a corrective thing. So it's it's not actually auto-tune. It, it's not auto-tune, but there is a lot of pitch correction on it. And that's just, that's really audible. Like you could tell they've, they've physically gone in and grabbed some of those notes with the mouse and gone, Yeah, there's certainly passages where you, like, he'll be singing at one level and then all of a sudden it just shoots up really, really high and it gets all almost digital and have like yeah. artifacts on, on it almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. And that's, again, like, I'm not sure if that's supposed to be like, if it's supposed to represent something in particular, because there's certain songs where it's not really like that. It, it's mostly that's on the highest notes. So mm -hmm. I don't know if, again, I don't know if that is reflective of his vocal ability or whether it's just like, he wants it to sound kind of like mechanical and inhuman. Um, and there's also some stuff he does that is like, really really weird and if i'm being honest really annoying to me at least where he he's like mutating the vowel as he's singing and i don't like, know why but he's doing this <laughs> and it's like there's a mosquito in the room like i just want to be like get off you know but um but again i don't know if there's like some reason like that just feels good if that feels cool if he's trying to like express something about the alien messages he's getting like I, I i really don't know where it's coming from and it could be the kind of thing where if he were able to explain it uh to me i'd be like okay well i see why you made that choice but as it is it just is a lot of sounds that are to my ears at least pretty unpleasant and irritating to listen to just, <laughs> over the course of a whole album it gets to be a bit much when, when i when i found if you if, if i listened to it like you know when I, when I enjoyed it the most is when i was in the truck like driving around from job site to job site for work yeah. because I'd get one or two songs at a time that I'd stop and be on a job site for an hour and then get back in and there'd be another song or two and I'd be at the next stop. So that's when I, when, when I tried to listen to it on the headphones, that's when I, I was just like, oh God, more more of that. God, God, why? Why are you still doing that? Right. Or what the fuck is that? Yeah. <laughs> it, it almost feels too like if there was someone maybe in the room or at the like producing the album and maybe having a lot of control over he could they could have directed it a little bit better or maybe said you know hey that that doesn't sound great or try this but it almost seems like it was recorded just at home or whatever but, and he just is doing whatever he wants and sending yeah. it off well yeah, i mean Sorry, um, the, uh, the 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 what you mentioned earlier about like the production about how 
you know, the band seems like they're kind of in a box. And I, I believe that part of that is because I think all this was recorded in different parts of the world and sent over and mixed together, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, which creates for like the playing on it is very tight, like very tight. Um, rhythm section is like really precise. There's no sloppiness on this record at all, as far as the playing. And I got to say like this, I really enjoyed the guitar solos on this record a lot. Oh. They're very fancy. I wouldn't say they're virtuosic, like Malmsteen or Gilbert or anything, but they're very, very fancy. Very, very good solos. Um, I really enjoyed them. I enjoyed all the tones too. Yeah, definitely. The the solos are, the guitar solos are, are just really impressive in the sense that they're not, as you said, virtual. So there's no Malmsteen. There's no like, they're not sweep arpeggios all up and down the neck and playing as fast as possible, but they're also like really melodic, just catchy um, and really add a lot to, they play to the song that's happening versus Mm -hmm. just being thrown on there on top for like flair, you know, They, they have a point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's definitely like each, each song has its own, uh, unique structure kind of and there's definitely some cool moments like harmonized guitars and things like that 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 really come through and are cool the problem is they never come back <laughs> like yeah like there's not a lot of these songs have cool parts that it, you can't really like grab onto because then we're kind of on to the next thing uh at this frantic pace yeah the, the first 30 seconds of the song are the, are the band kind of riffing together go through a couple different iterations of a riff and then the vocals kind of come in and really take all the attention. And then halfway through the song, there'll be like a double guitar solo. And then we're kind of back to the vocals taking all the attention with air raids and whales and... And just constantly like crossing, the lines crossing over each other. And this is something I remember, Darren, we talked about last week on that Witch Seeker album. And that was on a, on a really understandable and small scale of just like recording lines on top of one another so you don't hear the breaths between them mm-hmm. but this is just like it's it's just way too it, you know what it reminds me of actually it reminds me of the three tremors yeah like, yeah but it's yep. like it's like the one tremor you know and <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of the lines like you were saying they, they spill completely onto each other where the, it'll end with just a held out like scream high scream and then as that's not even done the next line starts like and we're two or three words in mm. like how how do you even perform that live you don't like you, you don't yeah i mean it's and it's one thing to do that in like moments it can be a really cool effect that's something that like primal fear likes to do um where, where ralph i guess will hold out one note and then record himself doing something else underneath it and that's that's okay you can you can compromise with that with live but this is and yeah, you pointed out something interesting too, which is like almost every vocal phrase ends on a long note. Which mm-hmm. means that like what you're hearing all the time is just like, me, 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 It's just like, there's no, it just, uh, it's really, and also just the quarter notes. This guy loves just like singing. just like the straight quarters i've never heard a, a, a single album with more just like straight quarter notes from the vocalist and not to just pile on just repeatedly on the vocals too but the i kind of i really struggled with the clarity of the lyrics and his pronunciation of some of the words like you were had mentioned earlier but it's just like 
I like he'll be like, and and you'll you just what do you what does that even what word was what's, that what word was that and then like, and yeah choose a pick a vowel and stick with it and also like give the listener a minute to process what they just heard because it does seem like this is a person who has some interesting thoughts in his brain and is eager to share them and is trying to tell a story with this album and get some pretty complex concepts across and and that's all stuff I would be interested to explore and, and listen to, but you can't really sort it out. All, all I could really come up with was these little fragments. In yeah, I mean, I, and I get all that, but you know, we got to remember this is Agent Steel we're talking about. I mean, they're they're not going to come out with a beautiful melodic record, right? That, that's that's clear and coherent and good size. It's speed bump. <laughs> but at the same time, there's no masters of metal agents of true. steel moments. that's true no there like, is like there is. i i really struggled to even find portions of the lyrics where i would remember other than the stuff that's just like ridiculous uh which we'll get into pretty yeah. early on here for sure all right well let's uh, let's get right into it so yeah. we start off with you know passage to afron 5 or afron v or whatever the heck this means which is just kind of an intro right yeah, I I like the uh, the kind of guitar melody on this. The, oh, it's awesome! It's really like kind of majestic and cool. And so, at first when I hear this, I'm I'm I'm. Here's the weird thing: it fades out, which yeah. I found was really strange. I was it's, like, if you're gonna write an intro and you're going into the next song, why doesn't why, it just ring into the next song? Why does? Why it would you do out? that? It's such <laughs> a boner killer. Yeah, it's yeah. so weird. I was like. The Isn't fuck? the whole point of an intro to like build up the tension and build up the energy so that first song really yeah. has impact, you know? Because I'm a total nerd, I wrote notes and I, the comment that I had about this was it builds into a fade out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and the thing that's funny and not to spoil later in the album, but they execute transitioning into kind of the same thing at the end of the album really cleanly. Yeah, in a, in a t- really tasteful, good way. Well, that's my favorite part of the album. We'll get there, but like, I mean, yeah. it would, it would, I kind of was thinking like when it started fading, I was, I thought it was gonna do that like fade and then swell thing, you know, like I thought it was gonna like drop out and then like you know make a maybe do like a fucking like reverse guitar volume swell into like the next song, but it just went away, and I was like, yeah. okay, fair enough. Well, <laughs> then we go into cryptics of galactic domination. What do you guys think of this one? <laughs> it was our um, first impressions of the band. It's the band as a whole. Here we go. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the riffs are cool. Hell um, yeah. And then we get, yeah, John Cyrus starts going, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> For the next, like, four minutes. So. <laughs> it was so fucking funny, dude. <laughs> it, it, like, that's the sad, the thing that sounds really bad is that's one of the most memorable parts of the vocals in the album to me like mm. like if you were to say like hey what's some lyrics you remember it's the ladies and gentlemen it almost is like a, i don't know if it's like a dave mustaine or like a king diamond or something strange it's a little bizarre and he keeps saying it too that's the thing yeah. that was weird it's just over and over and over again yeah it just won't stop and i mean i, I could kind of get it as like a corny intro as like the first line or something but I mean, they just kept harping on it and i was like all right but that was a choice. <laughs> also, when they get to the uh, chorus, uh, or what I think is the chorus, he does this really bizarre thing where he says, like, cl- he's like, Crips of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah. Ah! 
<laughs> it's just it's just ridiculous. It's over the top. It's completely over the top. Yeah, it is. It is very, very ridiculous. And it kind of set the tone. I, I kind of made me go, "Oh boy!" Like, here's this is what we got. Um, and it's kind of what I expected. Yeah. You know, but it's still shocking <laughs> like, <laughs> when you actually get it because it was it was the track one was honestly way more ridiculous than I thought it was going to be. I I feel like maybe the first couple, well, at least the first two actual tracks on the album, he really wanted to come out of the gates like, here, I I still got it. This is Mm -hmm. what I can do. And just the vocal performance on, you know, uh, this song and the next one are really, they're over the top. Yeah. And in my opinion, in not a good way. No. Well, it's, it's everything, like everything in the voice is so stuffed up into the, like the face. He's making like, He's, he makes this bright, piercing kind of like e vowel that I don't even know how he does that. The leanings and gentle man, like I can't, I can't even do that. Um, and it's, it seems like he would be so uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, although you know, someone else who who can do something similar, although I think a little better is uh, uh, someone named Jason Conde Houston, yeah. who has <laughs> some 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 similar. I'm guessing that John Cyrus is an influence on his singing. You probably would say, I don't know. Yeah. Parts of yeah. it, I think. Part, I mean, yeah. parts of it. I don't think that Jason really wants to like clone that dude or sound exactly like him. No, 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 not at all. Or, 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 or parts of like the, the the crazy falsettos that he likes to, to throw out of nowhere, but definitely, you know, that like I remember a lot of the reviews we got for Cyber Metal. There were a lot of comparisons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that was one um, of my first thoughts was like, oh yeah, this like this sounds like something that. Jason and Skeletor might kind of do, but then it, it never went anywhere else and just stayed on the ladies and gentlemen thing. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> never mind. Uh, outside of the vocals, the the riffs in the song, the performances on the by the band are great. Yep. The the solo section is just really tasteful, really tasty licks going on in there. Yeah, it's it, and, and the bass tone is great. The drums are mixed really well. Mm-hmm. It's bizarre to hear this band just kind of like cruising along, be sounding super professional underneath all that stuff <laughs> it was kind of a strange counterpoint and as you said in the start off uh when we were just talking generally about the album rev he, he throughout this song too especially towards the tail end he does that da 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 and then <laughs> at some points we're getting like panning left and he does it on one <laughs> side on the right channel then on the left channel and it's just it's a little bit much yeah well, that, yeah and that really gives the impression that there's like a bug in the room, you know, because yeah. it's like flying around your headphones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and like you said too, he, he, I guess the thing that's strange to me is that like it gets to this like pattern of that is every single line. He's changing some of the, the pitches, but every single line is, is, is just almost like the same. So it, the song kind of has the same, samey feel throughout. Mm. I don't know. No, I agree. Um, so now we move on. Moving on from that one to number three of the title track, No Other Gods Before Me. And this is kind of like Rob stated, um, the same crazy over-the-top vocal delivery as the first one. It's a little less ridiculous with no ladies and gentlemen type, you know, vocal right. lines. But um, these are actually some of my favorite riffs on the album around this one. I thought the, the band was really, really playing well here. But like you said, the vocals are completely insane on this track too. Yeah, the the chorus section was was interesting too because he he kind of 
it's like the the chorus of the song the, the where you'd really want to hit and he actually scales it really back and has kind of this no frills sort of classic 80s delivery mm-hmm. that to me is a little bit more refreshing at this point and that sounds crazy to be on you know the third track of the album and you're already like you're <laughs> oh, like kind something of like, melodic yay you're, you're tapping out already for uh, a little bit more of a straightforward delivery and and you can kind of understand the lyrics here which is great and um it but there's just like there's just really weird choices at one point where he'll be doing his vocals and then they'll just like a wailing scream that's like fades in and then fades out as he's just singing and it's kind of bizarre to there's hear some, it. Yeah, there's some truly bizarre choices. I just remember that made me think, I remember on, on the very end of the last track, the way that what Crips of Galactic Damnation ends, it ends on one of these things where he's doing a big wobble up on a high note. <laughs> And then the, the band stops, and then he goes, ah, ah, ah. Yeah, yeah, and then that's, that's I mean, like they had to have done that on purpose. Like even oh, if yeah. it was like an accident in the studio, they were like, "Well, yeah, that sounds good. We'll keep that." And like I don't well, think one person probably said, "Oh yeah." Well, he, he thought that. He's, I don't know, but clearly, like, and and this is, and we've hinted at it, but clearly, this is not someone whose brain is is functioning in what we would consider a normal way. Um, <laughs> No, it's not. It's he's definitely something going on there. Yeah, uh, Rob sent me an, an interview with him actually before <laughs> before we recorded this, and uh, yeah, that was that was eye opening just because it was a level of uh, rambling and, and saying some pretty strange, inscrutable things. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote down one quote: "Where there is no churning consciousness, there cannot be any transmittance from the human voice, especially through the art of quote unquote singing." Interesting. So I'm not sure what churning consciousness is, but maybe it's what makes you want to record vocals this way. Maybe his brain is churned like butter, <laughs> and that's why he's fucked up. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I don't know, but it's a very strange thing. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know the guy, so I don't want to insult him too hard, but it, that is a fucked up quote. <laughs> <laughs> the... Um... Redeeming parts, again, I'm going to say this probably for every song. Uh, the solo section is sweet, and then it kind of switches into this sort of like harmonized uh, portion where the rhythm guitars totally drop out. And yeah, that was cool. There's just a harmony section, yeah. and then the bass and the, the drums are holding it all down, and sounds really great. And then um, we kind of get back into the overlapping vocals and stuff. And the other stuff. But that moment definitely stands out because it actually has a little bit of a, I don't know, emotion in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, yeah, I, I I agree. And those were I, I I did enjoy the instrumental parts on that song a lot. And then uh, next up was Trespassers. What do you guys think of this one? This one was it was kind of a standout for me because it kind of combined all of the weird stuff that you're gonna hear on this album into one track, but in a little bit more of a sensibly arranged way. Um, like this was one I could actually stand to listen to, even though it had some of the most obnoxious vocals, but there was like, it, it made sense and it was catchy. This one's actually really catchy because it's got the main repeating figure is this. And he goes, trespassers. Trespassers. <laughs> you know, and that's something I can, I mean, not really understand, but at least I can grasp onto and be like, oh, that's the one where he goes. Bah, 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 
over and over again. In this track too, he also, I think this is the one where he's kind of scaled back a little bit. The lines aren't running into each other. He's not holding out screams. Exactly. There's clearly defined, this is a line, you know, he's still pushing it and and still, you know, screaming and wailing. Um, But, you know, it's a little bit more controlled, a little bit more restrained. Uh, The one thing that was really, uh, the first listen through, I got to this song at the, the first scream or the first vocal part is like this weird like e like held out scream at the very beginning and i i just i cracked up but no, it sounds bad to, to say that but it was... it's funny it is i mean it's funny i mean again I, I we're not laughing at a guy with serious mental problems but i mean it, it is it is a funny thing to hear it was um the, and I don't yeah. he's a grown ass man. He made that decision. Yeah, I, and, and <laughs> that's honestly too. Like we're at this point, and I'm just like, okay, like these are, these choices are conscious. There are conscious choices. This is what he wants. This is how he wants the vocals to sound. This is the effects that he wants on the vocals themselves. Yeah. He's and, a veteran. Like we're not we're not talking about like some 19 year old kids making their first record here. Like yeah. this dude's been around. This is not his first rodeo. He knows how to make a record. And, and these are conscious decisions. And this song actually too has some really legit. I, I I personally like the vocal moments. Uh, again, I'm gonna talk about the solo section, but uh, there's this great middle section that's really melodic, brief like lead part where the guitars are both kind of doing a harmonized lick over and over, and then uh, Cyrus is doing like this sort of held out high screams kind of melodically, and then there's some whispering of the trespassers at the same yeah, time yeah. it's actually it's a really cool moment in the, I like that yeah. in the album uh in the in the song especially so yeah I, I agree I mean I thought this was one of the catchier tr- uh, you guys kind of covered it but I thought this was one of the catchier tracks on the record and it does stand out because there are some hooks and some things you can kind of latch onto there and there's a because the vocal lines were a little bit more restrained and not layered on top of each other as much it was easier to hear what some of the lyrics were and so I could hear some things about cattle mutilations and how humans can't be trusted and mm. i mean weird shit no question but at least i could kind of hear what some of it was yeah i'm not down to hear weird shit but yeah it'd be nice to understand it he also it's really funny too at the the tail end of the song it's like he got the memo to stop doing the that that same pattern and end it with like a the scream and he it felt like he started adding like a ah at like the end of every word or at every end of uh, every line. Yeah. And it was just really kind of interesting that there was just the abrupt change about like, you know, midway through the song. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, man, I totally forgot what I was going to say. God damn it's it. It's a unique vocal performance. It yeah, is. it really is. I mean, I, I, oh, that's right. What I was going to say is like, you know, there's, we all know that there's kind of a fine line between genius and madness in some ways. And, you know, you've got to let the madness happen to let the genius happen. So, you know, I'm, I don't want to want to rag on people for making weird choices because sometimes people make weird choices and they break new ground and it's really awesome. Totally. Um, and maybe some folks will listen to this and think, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to sound like a weird mosquito alien. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Go Good for it. That. Yeah. Yeah. More power to you. Yep. So then the next one was... I was already laughing before I played the song because Devil's Greatest Trick is a hilarious song title. 
was this was the first was this the first single or was this uh it was one of the singles i think i think it was i don't remember whether it was the first one or not but yeah this was uh uh quite the song title <laughs> I, I remember oh. that they had a lyric video for this and uh oh god i, remember I should watch that every like when it first was posted it had comments up and it was just it was getting panned pretty hard if I remember correctly, and um, I went back to check it out again, and the comments had been disabled for the YouTube video mm -hmm. for it. Um, if you told me in 2021 uh, that there would be a metal song that had the lyric, everyone's in love on a magic carpet ride in it, I would probably call you a liar. Especially, I mean, maybe like a, a psychedelic stoner song, but you know, not a metal song. Not a speed sure. metal song. No. It's a, the lyrical choices are very bizarre on this song. This is a strange one. And, and uh, he does this interesting sort of, there's a part of the song where he just keeps, uh, I think it's the chorus section, but it's the, the trick or treat type yeah. part where it's yeah. like almost like King Diamond or, or <laughs> yeah. Megadeth. I, I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the one lyric I could have told you from listening to it the first time at least is something good to eat. Is the, yeah. really the <laughs> yes. one thing that popped out of this one for me. Yes. Yeah. Um, the song too, I think, had the most egregious vocal uh, engineer uh, production stuff on it. Like there were some pretty questionable vocal effects, and I I don't know if it was actually editing. And and the band has repeatedly denied that they've done any editing at all on it they posted a video oh. on youtube with like the isolated vocal tracks insisting that there was no editing um but there's some weird effects there's a section where it's like when you ask where she came from she'll tell you she was part of the curse and like the first line the where is one of those parts where it sounds like someone has taken clicked on that line or that little sec section in the session and just like boosted it up to like a completely higher note and then the part of in the next line part of the it just like it sounds all warbly and digital and effect covered and i don't know if it's effects going crazy editing who knows yeah, i don't but know man but it's weird it, it's insane that they came out and said that like nobody ever in 2021 thinks that you anyone's going to make an album and not edit it i mean this is just part <laughs> of the business now yeah and, and when with like when judas priest got you know or, or kiss did alive or you know alicia in the east people were like oh i think you mike the crowd and edited that they were like yeah of course we did you gotta make it sound good you know and i, I just wish they would stand by that well yeah we edited the fuck out of it because yeah. every band does these days. Yeah, you, you want the product to to like sound like what you want the people to hear. So just who cares? Oh yeah, exactly. It's like that's just such a weird thing to come out and say in this in this in musical environment. If it was like raw and lo-fi, then I'd be like, okay, you can hang your hat on that. But something like this, it just come out. I mean, and especially now where everyone's kind of so wise to things. I mean. Most people, a lot of people who listen to this are going to be in bands or at least play guitar or know something. The business is much more like exposed, I guess, where people know, know much more about recording techniques and blah, 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 that you're not going to fool anyone anymore. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I think, and, and people just, 
I don't know. Human, the human ear recognizes the human voice and recognizes when something weird's been done to it. And this is not an album I think almost anyone with a musical ear at all could listen to and say, oh yeah, that's normal. Yeah. Like it's just so very obvious that there's weird effects on the voice uh, that I don't know why you would try to pretend that that's not the case. It just seems kind of crazy, but I mean, there we go. There we go. And here we go further on into the Sonata Cosmica. What do you guys think of this one? This one had some nice wind chimes in the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Um, So I guess this is a redone version of one of their, the 80s lineup songs that they performed Mm. live, I think on the Unstoppable Force Tour. Okay. Um, I saw some YouTube videos of them playing it in like in like 87, I think it was. And wow. it's, uh, it's definitely a completely different song in terms of the vocals. Um, but the riffs are, are cool. No, the riffs are yeah. wicked on yeah. this one. It's, this is, yeah. this is a great, it's a great song. Uh, the, I think he's speaking Portuguese, I think, cause he's, uh, John Cyrus is Brazilian, I believe. Yes. Um, and I think he's speaking Portuguese at the first like a little bit of the song in uh, the vocals. That's so uh, too, yeah. And honestly, it sounds weird to say this, but I really actually like his vocal delivery and the way his voice sounds uh, in the Portuguese lines versus the English. And I don't know if that's he's approaching it differently. He can't do all the E's and the mosquito sounds, but. This, yeah, that being the, there's certainly, I guess that could be in certain languages the certain vowels that don't exist or, or, or they either don't exist or they just aren't as prevalent you know yeah. so oh absolutely and and you're almost always going to hear something different about someone's voice when you're hearing them sing in their native language oh well, maybe he'll do maybe he'll do more of that next one because yeah I, I agree i thought that was kind of cool this was to me was one of the stronger tracks on the record yeah as i actually i know it sounds like i completely hated the album uh but at about like this everything about this point on i actually started liking uh, it gets the, a lot better yes yeah, i agree the performances yeah, uh vocally are, are too a little bit more restrained a little bit more focused there's less just like he's trying to prove stuff and more just delivering the goods mm-hmm. um and starting with this song i'm like oh, okay and i don't know if maybe just the first couple songs are just so much more over the top that him being a little bit more normal air quotes uh is a little more appealing i don't know yeah i I thought there was a little bit more diversity in some of these later songs too Mm -hmm. yeah yeah the the last half of the record kind of is that that's kind of what i left at first listen like you know i i was laughing and being getting annoyed by the first half but i think rob and i texted you and i was like i kind of like some of this and that was definitely deep into the second half of the record when Mm when i texted you that all right, so I guess moving forward, um, Veterans of Disaster is the next one, which is could be his autobiography title. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, uh, again, I, I thought this song was pretty cool too. Yeah, it's definitely a different vibe. It's like a slightly, um, I guess, down-tempo by Agent Steel standards. Like it's a little bit slower, a little bit more of like a chugging kind of riff. Um, and then the vocals on it are, are, I think, probably the most restrained of the album. Mm-hmm. It's mostly in a kind of more standard 80s tenor kind of style without so much 
extreme high stuff. Yeah. Agreed a hundred percent. The, this was also one of my, uh, favorite songs on the record as well. Yeah. And this, the, this change of pace comes at the right time. I mean, you know, you're seven, you're seven tracks in, it's kind of been, you know, everything's been pretty fast so far, a little chaotic. And you, this is the, this is the time when you got to throw some, throw a curveball, keep your listeners interested going into the last, you know, three songs. Yeah. The, the, I don't even know how to really describe the sound, but it was almost like a, maybe even like almost Queensryche-ish. Yeah, that's a great, mm-hmm. that's a good comparison. The, mm-hmm. the, the track and the, again, sorry, the solo section, as I probably will <laughs> repeatedly say again, um, it, that really for this song. And then I think the next track as well, I just got really big King Diamond vibes, like uh, Andy LaRoque, like that sort of, yeah, the, rip, the the licks were just really, really mm-hmm. catchy, done really, really well. And then uh, the end of the song, which when I first heard, it, I was like, I don't really like this. But then I, the second on the second listen, when he's doing the veterans of disaster, like, and they're just the interplay of the riffs and the vocals, good stuff. It was yeah. probably the the highlight. Uh, one of the highlight moments of the album, if not the highlight moment of the album yeah, for me. Agreed. But yeah, that, that's, um, so then we're going from there into, I'm taking a ride on the carousel of vagrant souls. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thoughts here? It's a good title. It is. Yeah, the introduction kind of reminded me of like the, the first 30 seconds of the song was very like West Coast, you know, uh, classic speed metal or classic like thrashy type vibe mm-hmm. into just straight up like merciful fate king diamond riffs like you know and unfortunately the the weird vocal delivery and sounds and effects kind of come back for this track yeah and, and i think like the king diamond comparison is a fair one but i think where you know obviously king diamond is a bit of a you know he's a, he's an he's not a traditional vocalist in any sense of the word he's very off kilter but i think and he's divisive some people can't stand him you know other people like i love the guy i think mm-hmm. all of us here are big fans yeah definitely. but his ability he has the ability to um deliver really catchy hooks um, mm-hmm. he has the ability to really write and and enhance the you know he's always had smoking musicians around him either in fate or in his solo band mm-hmm. i mean and he always manages to write things that elevate those riffs and elevate those melodies Whereas, you know, I mean, John has this, he has the range to do that. Like he has the, he has the same range as King Diamond, if not even greater. Um, but it just, this on this one anyway, um, there's just a lack of, of um, melody. There's a lack of hooks to, to keep people interested, I guess. Yeah. And just layering that doesn't necessarily make sense. Like King Diamond definitely does a lot of layers and does a lot of harmonies. Oh, he harmonizes all those of, falsettos for sure. Like, mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it, it, you're still able to kind of follow the plan of it, and you're like, all right, I can see where you're taking me. It's, it's, it's a wild. It's always a wild, weird ride with King Diamond, but it's he enables the listener to follow by by telling the story well. And you know, there's obviously a lot of melodrama in how King Diamond does it, but um, it makes sense that there's a logic to it, and he's able to pull it off live. As I mean, I, I guess oh, yeah probably all see King, King Diamond live at one point or another, but it, it, 
he's able to, to do it. It still works because the structure of the song fundamentally makes sense, even if some of those harmonies are missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, you know, like, or like Hansi from Blind Guardian, you listen to any blind, the modern Blind Guardian stuff, there's six Hansis on a lot of the choruses. Right. But it's big, it's epic, it's grandiose, but it's got million-dollar production behind it. You know, and, and he's just such an accurate singer that, you know, they can pull it off. Well, I think part of, part of the trick is knowing, like, the, whether you're a musician or not, as the listener, you should be able to tell where the main line is. You should be able to tell yeah. which is the, the main one. And then the other five Hansies or the other five King Diamonds or whomever are dressing it up and yeah, adding they're... something and adding depth to the texture. But you still know where your attention is kind of supposed to be directed. Yeah, they're lifting up the main vocal, whereas on this, it's a little bit more voice over here, voice over there, yeah, scream you over here. Yeah, you can't tell where the main vocal is. Yeah, guess what? Guess which vocal is the main one? I guess. You <laughs> right. <laughs> I did think there was a really, really cool moment. Uh, the solo section. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> leading up to the solo section, he does this cool sort of like theat- theatrical, like, who's the most pathetic species of them all? Oh, yeah, that was this one. <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it goes into a straight up ripping solo. It's, it's yeah. really, that part was really great. Like, yeah. Like more moments like that, please. Yeah, I love that over the top shit. Like, I'm definitely not. I am definitely a fan. I, I'm a fucking man of war, so it's not like I'm into. I'm not into things that are way over the top. So yeah, more oh. moments like that, and just you know, less nonsense. I guess. Yeah. Cool. All right. So moving on, we get to the incident. I'm not yeah. sure what the incident is, but it's the incident, not it's an incident. The incident is actually, I, I researched this. Oh, here we go. <laughs> it's about a UFO incident in Vargina, I believe is the name, Brazil, where a UFO apparently landed and aliens emerged from the craft and interacted with locals. Oh, and the, uh, the Brazilian government denied this ever occurred. And I guess it's one of the most uh, well-known uh, UFO cases in Brazil. Here's the thing. I would like to, I, I would actually like, you know, we're kind of like, I've, I've made fun of this dude a little bit. I would actually like to, to it would be interesting to talk to this guy about this stuff. Yeah. A day. He seems like he's really, he's a, he is a hundred percent a true believer. He's into it. And I, I think, I don't know what to think is I just, think, I'm just one man and I've never seen a UFO myself. So I don't have any, I tend to just believe things in my eyes see, but you know, I, I don't discount people who say they've seen them. So I would definitely be interested to hear his experiences or his thoughts as to what led him to be such a strong believer. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not like he's the only one who experiences that stuff. Like, I've never really seen it personally either, but growing up in New Mexico, it was basically normal. Like, John Cyrus would be like, you know, your average guy in New Mexico by some standards. Cause Dude, him, him and Jesse Berlin should talk. Yeah, exactly. They, they, they uh, both got some alien stories. When I was a kid, we used to go on uh, road trips to Roswell a lot, where they've got the uh, the Roswell um, Alien Museum, where they have like little dioramas and like artifacts, and they have descriptions of all of the like most prominent UFO cases. I'm sure this one from Brazil is is displayed there, and they've got like you know little you know the, the metal that's like apparently came from outer space and all this <laughs> stuff. It's fucking it's, it was pretty cool. I mean, and for me as a kid, I was like, whoa this is great <laughs> so yeah i mean no hate on the general concept at all it's yep. it's uh, this song also had uh i think probably the most prominent portuguese 
Yeah, I think it was all yeah. in Portuguese, I think. Yeah, so, or most, and, most of it was, yeah. And, and his delivery on this one, too, he's in that sort of lower middle voice that he has. Um, and it seems like there's a little bit less of the over-top, over-the-top vocal delivery constant. Uh, instead, he's using it as kind of like a little accents, which is mm-hmm. kind of nice versus yeah, just wailing at you the whole time. And it harkens, it harkens back to some of his older vocal delivery, mm-hmm. I think. Yep. Where, yeah, it, it, the, the crazy stuff was there, but it was, it sounded like human, you know, and it was, mm-hmm. it was like, I just, just to accentuate certain parts, but yeah. as, as opposed to like just being the crazy screams being the dominant thing everywhere all the time from mm-hmm. different points where you can't identify what, what's what. I also, this it was a, definitely a standout track for the, the drums and the bass for me. Yep. Uh, 100%. Sounded, they sounded great on this track. Like, well yeah, those two guys are bad motherfuckers man they, they, they don't really they don't do anything too fancy but they are really locked in the whole time you know they really really they really truly are and they serve the songs quite well so yeah I, I was pretty stoked on the rhythm section i had listened to your guys's uh podcast for the one that you just released for last week the with the singapore band and this is like almost the opposite this this recording is almost the opposite in terms of the bass like you don't really, it doesn't stand out, but it just services the songs really, really well. And when you do yeah. notice the bass, you're just like, this is great. Like, yeah, this is exactly what I want. Totally. He bl- And then that's the interesting thing as a bassist. You, you got to know when you're selecting a tone, you got to kind of figure out how much you want to blend in with everything and create a groove and how much you need to stand out and, and, and punch, have a punchy tone. So people know when you're actually doing something and it's kind of hard to, to, to figure that out and dial it in, but this dude did it perfectly. Mm-hmm. You know, there are times that, yeah, you don't, you don't notice it, but there are times, sometimes if you don't notice the bass, then it's doing its job. I mean, I think Rob, you and me talked about this once. Like if you, if you're watching a band live and you're like, something seems off and I can't tell what it is, it's probably the bass player, yep. you know, yep. but if Definitely. you're watching a band and you're like, I don't understand why I'm, grooving so hard to this stuff it's probably the bass player it's like just the opposite ends of the spectrum yeah the, the bass is completely locked in with the drums yeah exactly and you don't understand why it grew so hard but yeah that's the bass player doing his job yeah. this is this song too probably had the most like shreddy moments for the oh, guitars yeah. in the in the leads uh but still really really tasteful so. yep totally agree it's like it's, it's a really good song overall um and then wrapping it up for the, I guess, the full-length songs on the record, we have Outer Space Connection, which is, how do you guys feel this was as a sort of album closer? Red's already smiling. I can see it. But I, I, I really liked this one. Yeah. This was probably my favorite thing on yeah, the album. Yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I have this marked down as my favorite track on the album as well. Um, I guess it was uh, uh, either co-written or written by the bassist of uh, Gamma Bomb. Oh, damn. Uh, so I, I haven't band. heard in a minute. Yeah, he was in the band, I guess, for a brief period of time. And I don't know if he either wrote this with John Cyrus or wrote it for the band. Um, but yeah, it, it, uh, musically, great, great track. I really enjoyed it. The, the bass and the drums are awesome on this track. And actually, the whole band's probably at their best on this track. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's the, the vocal, like the lyrics and the vocals are, are kind of funny, but also like, it's frenetic in a way that's that's like, I don't know, for me, it really worked. Like I felt kind of pumped up listening to it because it's all that me against you, you against him, <laughs> us against them, me yeah. against you. 
yeah, it was pretty cool. Especially towards the tail end of the song when just their band's just like laying it down and they're getting really intense and he, he's just like repeating that passage over and over and over again and has a, it's a cool moment on the on the album for sure. Yeah, and, then, and you can understand what he's saying and kind of like it, the story he's telling comes through like, oh, there's all this strife and it's being like, you know, kind of forced upon us. And, and to me, like the emotion of that comes through, even though at the same time, it's like, there's a goofiness about it, but speed metal, you know? Yeah, it, it, I felt like, this might sound bad to say, but it almost sounds like, it reminds me a lot of the band Gamma Bomb, uh, the, the stuff that I've heard from them. No, I like them, so that's not a bad Yeah, thing definitely. Um, but it's weird to kind of say, oh yeah, it reminds me of, Agent, this Agent Steel song reminds me of Gamma Bomb. Right, right. It's like, you know, 20, 25 years uh, older than them. Or, uh, so, yeah. Uh, he also is really going all out vocally on this song too. I, I clearly last moment of the album for him to really cut loose. Um, and he's definitely utilizing it for sure. Oh, totally. So yeah, this definitely was a highlight. It was, it, it did leave. And I think that's what I think I just have to listen to this was when I did taxi and be like, you know, I kind of like some of this stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then this, this did actually leave a good taste in my mouth as far as like full length songs. And then, you know, we have the entrance to Afron V or five or whatever the heck it is. I don't know. Um, which is kind of like a, a cool bookend. And like we talked about earlier, they go into it really in a classic yeah. way. Yeah. It's really, it's done really, really well. I just like the, the outer space connection is just like, erupts and then it's just kind of like back into that melody from the first track and just really bookends and closes out the album in a nice way yeah um, i mean that that transition like man that's 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 why i love heavy metal that's the stuff i really love to hear is like the fast and furious frenetic stuff builds up the tension and then it just like pops out into this more open kind of majestic feeling um it was really effective for me and i, I think the music on the you know, both Afron B tracks is really cool with that kind of the guitar, um, like arpeggios they're playing and everything, and like this sort of spooky, vague narration. And I guess that's kind of the the, the kind of thing I was expecting a little bit more um, when I or that I would expect, I guess, when I'm thinking about like oh UFO music, like that the the the, the, the this outro kind of evokes that effectively for me. Some X Files. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, and I kind of, it kind of made me feel that there's probably uh, actually kind of a cool story buried in this music somewhere. It just, mm -hmm. the execution and the planning didn't quite work out. Um, so that being said, like, what do you think, you know, I mean, obviously I think there's some, we, we, we both, we all think there's some good moments on this record. We all think that it's not, you know, it's, it's a bit of a mess, but it's not a disaster. Um, what would it take to make this album, you know, a good, great album? A producer. Yeah. A, a yeah. Good producer. Definitely. Somebody, My, maybe like as far as mixing goes or someone just to work with John Cyrus and say, Hey, this isn't a good idea. Let's do this instead. Yeah. Just a little bit of an artistic consultant, you know, someone who can, it's because as we said, it's a good sounding album already, but I think like creatively, 
maybe if he had had a little bit of help working through the process on some of these songs and just an outside ear saying like, Ooh, I don't really know what you're going for there. Maybe you can bring this out a little bit more. Yeah. Maybe we can like put some levels of dimensionality into this so that like we can put the main ideas in the foreground and the supporting ideas in the background, like just a, something like an editor to come and clarify some of his, his thinking and make it more uh, just understandable to the listener. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, the the, I think he the goal for this was he wanted to come out and just basically prove all the naysayers wrong that he could put out an album that he he could still do it he could still sing, and he he, he can sing. I I just think that a lot of the ideas just they're there but they're they're just not executed in a way that's really listenable. I don't know mm -hmm. if that is the right way of describing yeah. it, but to me it's just yeah they're like a producer just being like. How about this instead, you know? I think all, and for me, I agree with those. I, really, I definitely agree with those those thoughts. I think a bit more big picture thinking would help. Like if they looked at, there seems to be like, there's a concept to this album, especially since we have these two bookends at the front and the back that are really cool. I think if they'd have thought about this album, it's like of the flow of it and how these tracks are going to mesh and how they're going to tell the story and maybe varied it up a little more. Um, it, it just it, it could have it could have been a lot better than it is and i think there's I, I really hope that you know they can make another amazing classic agent steeler record i mean you know this dude you know this dude gets laughed at a lot and i'm not saying i haven't laughed at him but you know he gets kind of made fun of a lot and you know but i'm cheering for him i'm in his corner i want to see him you know i don't want to see anybody not succeed you know i'd love to see this guy really get it together and put out something that is remarkable and shut everyone up including me yeah. that would be that would be awesome so i mean and we, we've obviously see like you still got chops he can still put a band together um his yeah, band's he, great yeah he's, he's clearly got the connections to get musicians and people that can mix the record it's just you know a little more it being a little more concise and streamlined and um just just a little more thought out i think would go along yeah, it makes me wonder if there is something like, you know, Robbie mentioned he's trying to prove himself. I wonder if there's something like, we're just going to throw everything and, you know, and the kitchen sink in here. So, like, they can't say that we didn't, like, wow them and dazzle them and, like, put all this stuff in here. Just a little bit of restraint would have been nice, though, because then we can actually hear what his ideas are. Because obviously he's got a really interesting brain and an interesting perspective. And, uh, you know, like I said, there's a lot about this that doesn't really sound like anyone else. And as much as like parts of it really irritated me and I didn't like it in some ways, I would still kind of rather listen to this a lot of the time than just like, I don't know, the same lyrics we've heard a hundred times before. I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, the albums that we do review on here, I mean, and we look at a lot, when we pick albums, we kind of look left, right, center, front and back, try to find them from various different sources. And a lot of the sources that we use we go, there's a lot of albums we listen to and we don't review them because we're just like, there's nothing to say here. Yeah. This is all very generic, very run of the mill, very heard it before a million fucking times and just not going to do it. So it, uh, it is definitely like a band with its own sound. And I, I say that uh, to sum it all up, you know, we've, we've, we've kind of covered everything. Um, I would say that, this is probably not going to go in my regular rotation, except maybe for the last track. Um, but it does have me, my interest peaked as to what they might do next. 
I would be really curious to actually see the songs perform live too, just to see how different they are. Yeah. Um, especially like, as we discussed repeatedly, like the lines going into lines, like if, you know, if, if all those held out long screams at the end of every line are gone, you know, um, should be, yeah. inter- it would be really interesting to hear what, how it's performed. Um, it might, the balance of everything might seem a little bit more healthy than if you're getting the one vocal line, then the other performances are going to pop out more and the attention is going to be more on the vocal lines that he does choose to focus on. So yeah, for the same reason, I'd, I'd like to hear it live. Sometimes like the live environment provides limits that are really important to like give music shape, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, so yeah, I think, um, yeah. But I think there's going to be a lot of people that love it. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of people who just love over-the-top crazy screaming shit, and they're going to be really into it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think people are going to really fall into two groups of this is terrible, this is amazing. Yeah, uh, for that, I don't think that there's really going to be any like, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's cool. Yeah, you know, for sure. I don't I don't think there's you're going to have a strong opinion about it regardless. Yeah. So again, like I said, I'm not I'm not throwing this in my uh, top albums of 2021 or on my iTunes regular playlist or buying it on vinyl. But, you know, I am, like I said, I am, I am like you guys, I'm interested to see it live. I am also interested to see what the next album holds if they do one. And Hey, like everyone out there, just pick it up and decide for yourselves. You know, I think, I think you'll know pretty quickly about song one or two, you'll know whether you love it or hate it. So. Yeah. And I also too, I would say, as well if you get through the first couple songs and you're kind of like eh, i don't know how i feel about this i would definitely skip to the, like the last you know two three tracks um you know the outer space connection incident uh veterans of disaster check those out as well yeah it is interesting you know having reviewed so many albums it, it is interesting how many of them i end up saying that kind of thing about start start at track five start at track six it's it's Surprising to me how many albums get better halfway through. Yeah, that's true. For sure. Not all of them. Like a lot of times it's sensible to front load the album with your best stuff because that's the thing people are going to hear first. But it seems like oftentimes I end up liking the backside more. Okay. Well, there you have it. Age of Steel, no gods before me. <laughs> gods. Reminds me of the goalie from Slapshot. Homes. <laughs> but um, all right. So I guess we're going to move on. Uh, from that into our album picks of the week and since Rob you are the guest on the show why don't you go first man what album did you bring to talk about today I brought with me today the Lord Weird Slaufeg Down Among the Dead Men from 2000 released under Dragonheart Records Um, I'm sure that a lot of the listeners are familiar with Slaufeg formed in 1990 in Pennsylvania relocated to California you know, I think they're on 10 albums now, roughly. So, wow. you know, they've been around for quite a long time, you know, releasing them an album every couple of years. Um, this album is probably one of my all-time favorite metal albums. There's just, it's, it's just execu- executed really, really well. Um, the album is just packed with excellent songs uh, f- filled with just, great songwriting lyric writing too oddly enough i'm not i don't consider myself much of a lyric guy but um the the lyrics seem witty and just executed really well vocally by uh, mike scalzi um the singer guitar player 
He's the main man of the band. Um, other notable members on uh, this album are uh, John Cobit on guitars, who's been involved with bands like Hammers of Misfortune, uh, Ludicra, and then I think more notably recently, uh, the black metal-ish band called Vol. Um, yeah, it's it's great start to finish. Uh, the sound is kind of hard to pin your finger on. It's like heavy True metal. True all their records. Was that? <laughs> That's true of all their records. It's very yeah, hard it, to pin this band it, down. It's like heavy metal, power metal influences, sort of like folky influences. Like, you know, you hear like kind of like snippets of Thin Lizzy, Iron Maiden, you know, Manila Road, Broca's Helm, like just all over the board. And, and at the same time too, all those influences, but not openly sounding like a clone of any of those bands. Um, it's just good stuff. Uh, great metal. Um, for this album in particular, it's their third album. Uh, the production is really stepped up a notch uh, compared to the first two releases. Um, the drums sound really great on this album. Um, and then again, you just have like this, all this diversity from like traditional heavy metal stuff, some doom influence, like this quirkiness, like some sci-fi futuristic influence. It's just like all over the board, really good, good, great metal, fun to listen to. Like the, the solos are catchy and they're not vir like virtuoso again, like Malmsteen, Luca Turilli, like blazing up and down the fretboard like crazy, but it's like, just that earworm catchy, like the Thin Lizzy Maiden, you know, rockin' solos that have harmonies that just like kind of bury themselves in your brain. And then you're like, if you can whistle, you're whistling along or humming along to them. Um, and then the, the songs as well, uh, they, don't, they don't necessarily just go verse, chorus, verse, chorus, solo, chorus, 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 repeat the song title 15 times in a row and you're done. Uh, mm -hmm. We kind of go on a journey where you know, there'll be a sort of section that's an intro and then we've got some verse stuff and then you have a big middle section where there's almost like, it's almost like a jam. I know that sounds really bad to, in, the, in the metal zone to be mm -hmm. talking about a, a band jamming, uh, but uh, it, it just works and uh, it's a lot of fun to listen to. Yeah, and Skeletor um, has a bit of a history with Slaufang too. Yeah, we've played a bunch of different shows with them uh, in San Francisco, in uh, Bellingham, in Seattle, um, and uh, through playing shows with them and, and attending their shows. They actually, this might sound a little bit fanboyish, but I think I've, they're probably the band I've seen the most out of any, including local bands possibly, uh, just because I think I've seen them like at least like 10 or 15 times in Seattle, at least like two or three times in Portland and then two or three times in uh, San Francisco as well. So um, as far, I don't know if we, do we pick tracks that we recommend? Yeah, go for or? it, man. Absolutely. Okay. And if you guys have something to say too, I'm kind of like motor mouthing about all that's this. All, uh, that's the whole point. Gushing, I guess would be a better way to describe it. Um, you know, it's the album starts off with the song sky chariots which just kind of hits you hard in the chest gives you an idea of what you are going to expect from the album uh there's a three song uh sort of 
three songs blending together uh, and kind of in the middle of the album of Heavy Metal Monk, uh, Fergus MacRuch and uh, Cauldron of Blood. And they kind of blend into each other. Uh, it's an interesting journey where you're kind of presented with some you know, heavy melodic guitar melodies into some speedy, you know, galloping power metal into just pure heavy metal with some doomy elements. Uh, at least I think sound doomy. I'm sure that Darren, you probably might not necessarily agree because I'm not the biggest doom fan, but, uh, and then. If it uh, sounds Sabbathy, it's doomy. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and then uh, outside of that, you know, there's not a weak track on the album. There's a, there's a really kind of silly sounding song to me, at least uh, troll pack, which is kind of a little goofy sounding uh, and some, there's a section at the end of the song where he just repeatedly is going, chewing on flesh, gnawing on bone, chewing on flesh, <laughs> gnawing on bone. It's uh, pretty, pretty ridiculous, but in a good way. Uh, closing track is also great. Probably my favorite Slothig song, uh, Death Machine. It's based on like this uh, 70s B movie called Death Sport, where they compete in like a, like motorcycle battles and, stuff like that, killing each other, et cetera. Uh, and it uh, has a great kind of middle section that is just classic, like pre-style heavy metal into like a big old solo section and then returns to kind of the, the themes from earlier in the song. It's good stuff. Um, if, if people aren't familiar with the band and want to check them out, uh, their stuff is kind of half between uh, Slaufeg online and the Lord Weird Slaufeg online. So if you're a Spotify person or an Apple music person, you might have to search for those two names. Yeah. Fine. They're, they're broken up a bit on iTunes. Brent, have you ever listened to this band? Yeah. I, you know, I had a friend who was really into them back when I was like a teenager. Um, one of the, one of the you know weirdest guys I knew at the time. So, but I mean, he played me some of it. I remember that, uh, that, that gnawing on bone song, actually, that sounds really familiar. Like that took me back. Um, so I've, I heard, I've heard some of that album, although I, I just added it to my Apple Music because I want to listen to it hearing you talk about it. Um, but I, I listened a lot to, um, I don't know if it's their most recent, but it's the one they released, I think, in 2019, the New Organon yep. one. Um, I like that album, but it's definitely uh, the production is, is a little, I don't know if unique is the right word, but it, I think it's mostly like kind of practice-based recordings. Yeah, it's, it's pretty lo-fi. It was a little lo-fi, yeah, but I, th I thought it was a cool concept because Mike Scalzi is a philosophy professor, right? Yes, he is a, a professor of philosophy at, uh, I believe, a community college in California. And he's also a philosophy professor uh, in like the bartending uh, world is too, I believe. So yeah. I'm sure he, he's a guy with a lot of stories and he probably talks to a lot. He's of an people. interesting guy. I mean, like I, I got to meet these guys when I was playing in Skeletor. We met up with them in Oakland, I think, for a bit. They came out to our mm -hmm. gig in Oakland at the Golden Bowl. And then we wound up hanging out with them after that gig in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't actually see the gig in San Francisco. I held down the fort at the show because I was the new guy. And I was like, well, I'll watch the merch table you guys go watch because you guys are all much bigger fans than me too. But we went back to Adrian's house after and hung out and geeked out about Dio all night. And it was really fun. They're really fucking cool guys too. Yeah, they're really great, great dudes. Great, great dudes. Um, and yes, Rev, you should check you should check out this album. You should also, uh, if you like more in like the more power metal y realm, check out uh 
the album immediately after this traveler which is a concept album based on the the role-playing game traveler is that the first one they put out on cruise or is that later uh it's later that i think that one is also on Dragonheart. i don't remember exactly when they switched over so my my introduction came because there's a band called antiquus in vancouver that were signed to cruise del sur and they were always kind of preaching to us about this band slough fang you gotta check them out and um they and they they went down to seattle to see them at some point this was in like 2006 or 7 or something um and I never saw them live, but that was my introduction to them. And yeah, I've been I've been a fan ever since. So great fucking band, cool guys. Looks so like Traveler's the one with like a space marine dog. dog. Yes, okay, cool. Yes, that one's great. Uh, and if you're in the more looking for a little bit more of the the rock, you know, the rock realm, uh, hard rock realm, I would say the uh, Hard World album is is good as well. Yeah, it's a really cool. good one. All right, so I went full-on classic this week, and I brought um, Judas Priest, Sad Wings of Destiny, one that everybody knows. My copy is this really cool 180 gram vinyl reissue that came out in, like, 2008. Uh, so I was pretty happy to get my hands on this. It's, like, it's, it's, a, it's a weird one because um, this one came out, I mean, first of all, it came out in 76, and it is a heavy as hell out for 1976 mm-hmm. but it was on gull records so they put this one out on like an independent record and gull records has done a lot of weird things legally over the years with the catalog of Judas priest that they own like they put this one out on gull and then after this they went to cbs records i believe and so whenever priest has done like a reissue like they did that big reissue of their cds and stuff in like the mid-2000s where they had them all like if you got them all that lined up and say Judas Priest on it or whatever on the spines this one was not included in it because there's all kinds of weird rights things with the labels I mean Judas Priest obviously still owns these songs you can play them but as far as the mechanical license goes there's some weird shit there um so I did kind of search to get this one um yeah, this is the, uh, and it, this is a really seminal album. This is kind of seen as the um, album where Judas Priest really actually cemented their sound because first, the only album before this was Rockerola, uh, as far as major releases go. And that's a much different sounding album. I actually like that album too, but it's, it's much um, different. So this one, they definitely found the metal sound that they were going for. They really had a, a vision, I think, when they put this one out and it was, really inspired by Black Sabbath. And they will admit that too. Uh, they really were going for a Black Sabbath vibe. Interesting thing too on this album, and even on Rocket, there's not a single original member of Judas Priest on this album. There's so many lineup changes before they even put out Rockerola. None of these guys are original members. I mean, you might as well consider them original members because like when the band actually got signed and started putting them out. But as far as like when it started with the name, I mean, that was... Um, None of these guys were around when that was uh, when that was a thing. So that's one interesting thing. Um, so this album like was quite acclaimed critically when it came out, but it sold like shit. Actually, this album didn't go gold until 1989. Oh, so it really so it really did not do much for them sales wise when it came out, which is crazy to think about because it's such a huge record. And you know, I guess it's best known for Victim of Changes and The Ripper. Those are the kind of the two big ones off this one that everyone knows. But for me, like the highlights for me are the back-to-back combo of Dreamer, Deceiver, and Deceiver. I absolutely love those two songs back-to-back. I also love Tyrant and Genocide back-to-back. Those 
they, they kind of like, it seemed like they kind of wrote those four songs kind of flow into each other. And then actually like Island of Domination might be my favorite one off this, mm-hmm. this track. It's such a huge song with all kinds of weird twists and turns and that kind of bluesy breakdown in the middle. Um, this is one of the heaviest things going in 1976. Um, so it's ahead of its time, you know, it's just, I think it probably was a little too ahead of its time to sell really well at the time, but you know, it definitely was enough on the heels of how bands like Sabbath were starting to sell for them to get picked up by CBS records and, you know, really start to become the absolute like mega giant, huge metal band they became. Um, Interestingly enough, uh, a few years ago, I guess it would have been 2016 when this album turned 40, um, I was in a Judas Priest tribute band uh, in Canada called, um, the hell were we called? We called Saints in Hell, that's what we were called. And um, I'd actually quit the band um, prior to moving down to America because I just didn't have time. I was trying to like keep my old band intact and I was working two jobs to save up for my immigration and the immigration process was take up a lot of my time so I just didn't have time but they called me and they're like hey man our bassist quit but we have this idea for a show I'm like I said I don't have any time and they told me we want to do Sad Wings of Destiny front to back for the 40th anniversary on the day it came out which is a Saturday I'm like okay I cannot say no to that like that's a gig I have to do and um it's funny our, our pal local metal staple Terry McCorriston came up for the gig from Seattle because <laughs> in his words in his words I gotta make sure you don't fuck it up <laughs> so, Terry, Terry. so Terry came up for the gig and a couple of the guitar players have really short hair so they wear they wore wigs to you know they kind of looked like you know Tipton and Downing's hair and Terry goes so what is this sad wigs of destiny <laughs> kind of his two classic lines of the trip um but yeah we, we played that we even like they we even had like we, we performed even the the prelude and epitaph the, the piano parts we did the whole thing and it went over really well. I was really proud of it. It was kind of cool to pay tribute to an amazing record. I think this is one of what I would call the game changers in heavy metal history. And it's, it's an album that I just, I just, and beyond the history of it, I just enjoy every single song on this record immensely. It's a song, it's a, it literally is one of those, you just look at this track listing. I'm just like, man, those are all fucking bangers. Every single fucking one of them. And yeah, and Victim of Changes is such an inf- it's just such an influential tune. It's just such an epic. There's so many. It's got that iconic intro, and there's so many different dynamics on it. The lyrics are so cool, and Halford's singing on this is just. I mean, talk about crazy singing! Holy shit! Like some of the notes he hits on this are just absolutely terrifying. So, again, if if for some reason you haven't heard Sad Wings of Destiny, there's not much that I can say about it that hasn't already been said a million times, but get it in your ear holes as soon as possible. Mr. Rev, what do you got for us? Well, you know, I don't actually have that many records and I, I definitely, some weeks I, I get kind of stressed out. Like, man, I'm really looking to try to find like the thing that's just the right combination of like the right kind of style and being, you know, appropriately obscure and new so that it'll like turn someone onto something new or like, show that I'm a person of like taste and discretion. But uh, this week I just decided, fuck that. I'm just going to bring an album that I guess one or two of you might've heard of called Master of Puppets by a little band from San Francisco called Metallica. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, 
Young um, up and comers, maybe they'll do something one day. Yeah, maybe they'll do something. Um, <laughs> but arguably, uh, after this album, they didn't really. I mean, I guess they did some stuff, but <laughs> but um, I don't know. There's that little, of, little song called Enter Sandman that a few people might have heard. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> but but really, like, I don't know. This is the only Metallica album I have on vinyl um, or on any physical copy at all. And it's, you know, probably the only one I need. I might like to get Ride the Lightning because I like that one too. Um, but sometimes I, I think we just get caught up you know, in the metal scene, especially get caught up thinking about like, you know, what, what obscure albums do we like that really define us? You know, what can we pull out in conversation that'll really impress someone? Like, yeah, like my favorite Queensryche album is Wage for Order or whatever. I don't know. Like, um, not that that's that obscure, but. You uh, cult motherfucker. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But you know how, you know, we guys know how it is. And a lot of our listeners know how it is too, but. I think it's interesting. Sometimes you get to talking to somebody who might not be into metal for whatever reason. And, uh, and then you kind of get a different perspective of like, what would you play someone who had never heard heavy metal? Yeah. Or, you know, the, the UFO comes down and is like, show me the music of your planet, specifically heavy metal. I mean, are you going to play him Agent Steel or are you going to play him Master of Puppets? You know? <laughs> UFO? Really- I don't know. We'll <laughs> I'm going to think about that for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> the point just being that, like, there are certain albums that come along, kind of like, I mean, Sidewings of Destiny is a, it's a good one, too, that really kind of define what heavy metal actually sounds like. Um, and it, it's been a couple people who have kind of asked me, like, well, I'm not into metal at all. What should I listen to? And, and you know, I, I oftentimes will recommend some of my personal favorite things that aren't necessarily that famous, but... I've kind of gotten in the habit of, of recommending this album just because it is really fucking good. Obviously it's something that a lot of it, most people would probably agree on, although, you know, there's always the, the naysayers. Um, but I guess what I like about it is what I like about Metallica in this era is they really nailed crafting distinctive, diverse songs. Like all the songs on this album sound really different from one another and even within each individual song, they go to a bunch of different interesting places. Um, there's such a variation of, of tempi on this, of moods, of um, styles within each individual song. You know, even just battery opening with a little acoustic guitar lick, you know, on through. And then Master of Puppets is the big epic. And then the thing should, that should not be is like, I mean, not do me exactly, but has that like heavy kind of like Dude, that that type oh. of song that that the art of that type of song is lost. Yeah, no one plays shit like that anymore. Right. But it, yeah, and then the production too is another thing that we should yeah. talk about. That. The production on that album is fantastic. Yeah. And the thing that's crazy too about this album as well is there's a, a number of songs that are are like over seven minutes long but they don't ever really seem like you're like, like if you listen to Master Puppets, like it's a long song, but you mm-hmm. don't ever really get that vibe of like, you're looking at your watch, wondering when the next track's coming up or whatever. Yeah. Cause you said that you're just going place, all these different places, you're going through all these like emotions or feelings and it just, it's just executed really, really well. Yeah. You know, I'm not like, I, I was never really a big Metallica fan. Like, growing up i heard him i was 
I kind of enjoyed certain things, but like it was the nineties and early two thousands, you know, and I was hearing like hero of the day and songs like that on the radio, you know? <laughs> yeah, dude, <it's> and, <laughs> and so, and of course I heard inner Sandman and, um, you know, uh, uh, what's that other one? Sad, but true, you know, stuff like that. So I, I was like, all right, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. But then I, at a certain point I went back and, and, checked out this album i think it's because i heard master of puppets on the radio and i was like what was that oh that was metallic that was the that was the give me fuel give me foul give me da -ba -da -ba -da, guys <laughs> oh wow all right cool <laughs> um and then i just got really you know as a lot of people have i guess really impressed with just how many places the album goes how well balanced it is i, I always if i see an album that has you know side one four tracks side two four tracks I'm, I'm, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm into that. There's something about the, the, the geometry of it that I'm really into. I like the, um, it just that, that structure seems to really work pretty well because it allows you to go to a bunch of different places without overwhelming uh, the listener with too much stuff. Even like, and Justice for All, for me, it's too long. Whereas Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, eight tracks each. Eight <laughs> tracks each that follow a similar pattern of like, you know, fast song, epic song, slower song, ballad, and then on the second half it diverges a little bit, but you know, faster song, instrumental, you know. But this one was really the one where they where they hit that that groove, you know. And so there's a couple of people like my father in law, for example, is a big jazz dude who um had just really never listened to heavy metal and he was like, What should I listen to? And I just bought this and it came with a download code. So I was like, here you go. There it is. That's metal. That's, this is, there, no one's going to argue with you. <laughs> this is metal. Everyone, this is something that we all agree on, that this, this is what metal sounds like. And, you know, metalheads don't always agree on much of anything. So yeah, that this, counts for something. This was definitely a, like a gateway album for me of hearing like actual metal versus what you hear on the radio i i guess like actual un underground or like traditional true metal mm -hmm. versus uh you know what whatever pop metal or whatever is all the rage for me uh i remember hearing this in high school and being pretty blown away yeah yeah because it really it bridges that gap between what was kind of acceptable on the radio and what <laughs> underground metal is doing especially the title track you know it just it goes to so many different places. It has the acoustic sections. It has the like that great like weepy guitar part, right? And it you know it brings it all back at the end, um, and it's just truly an epic track. That but for whatever reason, an epic track that people actually found accessible. You know, I remember you know being a big Opeth fan or whatever. I would I would oftentimes try to play people stuff for Blackwater Park and or whatever. I'm like, here, check this out, and they're like dude, this is like 10 minutes long. <laughs> Why would I listen to that? But, you know, like you said, Metallica was able to pull that off in a way that didn't seem long. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely one of those. I, I really do think that Cliff Burton was a massive, like, I know there, he wasn't the whole picture, the whole story, but I, it really, to me, like the albums that he was a part of have a distinctive feel that the other albums just don't quite have. Um, and I think it was bringing a little bit more of that kind of classical um, 
more scholarly kind of influence, which is something that I find appealing. And again, that's something that I found surprising when I first heard this album, because that stuff was fairly absent from their, you know, post black album material. Um, Anyway, so I don't know that I'm saying anything that hasn't been said a million times before. If you're, I guess I've heard that there's a couple people who listen to this podcast who don't actually listen to much metal. Um, And a fair few actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's awesome. I think that's cool. And I don't know if they're, you know, listening to this stuff that we're recommending, but if you're looking for an entry point to what metal is, then, you know, you could do a lot worse than Master of Puppets. Certainly. Yeah. And that's a good segue into what we're going to talk about this week, which is, I guess, like seminal bands and their classic albums, so to speak. Um, You know, there's obviously there's some, throughout the history of heavy metal, there's some bands that kind of transcend the whole genre. They're just so big and everybody knows about them. Everyone, for the most part, loves them. And they got that one big album that's like the kind of, and then I guess you could look at it a couple of ways. I mean, you can look at the album that kind of was put them on the map or the one that was the biggest commercial success. Um, but every, every band kind of has that one album that winds up being, you know, associated with them as their bigger, biggest thing. I mean, like Judas Priest, I guess, arguably you could say British Steel is kind of like their most iconic one. And then Black Sabbath, there's Paranoid, you have Paranoid, which is, you know, not my favorite, but it's their most iconic one. And it's fucking amazing. Um, You know, Maiden, I guess you would say Number the Beast, maybe. I mean, that's a tough call. But, you know, all these different bands have that one album that kind of just when, when people say the name of the band that's the one that pops out first whether it's their best album or not that's not necessarily the point it's just that's the one that is their trademark you mentioned black sabbath and paranoid too is looking at the the songs on that record is just crazy it's like there's war pigs paranoid and uh iron man are just like those are metal staples like if if you were again if the aliens came down and wanted to know what heavy metal sounded like i feel like at least one of those songs has to be played for them you can still hear those songs on kisw in the daytime yeah yeah <laughs> like they're still on rock radio yeah that's, how that's, from, those that's from 1970 <laughs> yeah totally i mean that's that's just insane i mean and again like it might not be it's not my favorite black sabbath record but if you know if, if someone was to like want to get into black sabbath that might be the album I hand to them and say like, this is the one you should start with because, you know, Iron Man was the first song that hooked me into, uh, into heavy metal in general. Actually, that was the first one that made me kind of go down a path of seeking out heavier music. I didn't know music could sound like that when I was very, very young. And then, yeah, the next, weirdly enough, I mean, I, I had, the we sold your we sold our soul for rock and roll the greatest hits thing that's the, the cd i had but the next two that i went to were paranoid and warpings so i guess there's something to be said there even though it wasn't on that album it was a compilation uh, those those were it, it, i distinctly remember it being me being obsessed with iron man and wearing it so obsessed with that riff i li- I, I literally took because i had a walkman i didn't have a discman back in the day i took a walkman and i copied I made a track with just Iron Man on a 90 minute tape on one side and just Iron Man on, on the other side. So I could walk around with that, with that song and just listen to it all day when I was walking around like to school and shit, because I was obsessed with that riff and obsessed with 
the solo and how crazy and it's how intense it sounded. I just loved it. And then I went from that to when I, like a month, <laughs> it was like a month. I distinctly remember like just listening to that song for a month and being obsessed with it. And then moving on to Paranoid, moving on to War Pigs and then on and on from there. I remember, yeah, Paranoid was the first Sabbath album I ever heard. It was also like maybe the like second or third time I ever got stoned. <laughs> My friend and I like smoked out on his roof and then we we put Paranoid on, or yeah, we put Paranoid on and played like Tony Hawk Pro Skater or something <laughs> and we, for like four hours and just listened to Paranoid on repeat. And so now whenever I hear like Electric Funeral or um, Fairies, wear, Fairies Wear Boots, right? I'm, I'm like picturing the Tony Hawk video game still to this day. Mm. Although I think the first, uh, my first introduction to Sabbath actually was when I was like, I must have been like 11 or 12 and I got this album by a in retrospect pretty terrible like new metal like rap metal band called First Strike and um <laughs> and and they had a cover of, of Paranoid on their album and I was like ooh this is cool what's this and, so, huh. and I had to look up the original version you know, yeah you know it's it's it is, it is interesting how and one thing that we talked about rob brought up in the when we were talking about you know stuff pre-show pre tonight was that sometimes um sometimes the um what was it as metalheads you know we get to we tend to be a little bit contrarian in our views and you know like mm -hmm. you said we, we want and you kind of touched it on what you were saying rather it's like you know sometimes these classic albums get maligned a little bit and they get a little bit shit on because like i don't know just so I literally hear people go, oh, British Steel is overrated. Like, bro, come on. Rapid Fire is on British Steel. Steeler is on British Steel. Fucking um, The Rage is on British Steel. Those are bangers, dude. Those are great fucking songs. British Steel is not overrated. Some of the tracks, may, it might have a couple overplayed tracks on it, certainly. But, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's certainly, like, I think people frequently associate like oh it's overrated when they just like they're referring that they've just listened to it so much or they've heard it so much it's like it's too popular or whatever and i don't understand why that necessarily matters too much but i think it's honestly i think like it's an identity thing because a lot of us like who your favorite band is says something about you right like mm -hmm. you know i'm a slavic fan or whatever and then, you know, especially with the popular bands, what your favorite album is or what your favorite song is, like, says something about you. And so if you, like, choose a really popular album as your favorite or that you, like, champion something that's really popular, then that doesn't say anything about you. You're generic. You're a normie, you know, by metal standards. <laughs> Maybe. <you're> like... <laughs> but I do get – one thing Rob mentioned was the overplaying, and I do get that. I mean, yeah. I don't – I, I love Master of Puppets. I don't remember the last time I sat down and listened to it. Right. And it's, it's not that I don't like that. I still love that album as much as I did when I was, you know, 15 and heard it for the first time. But you can kind of just like press play here, you know. At this oh, end, right? certainly. Like when you were talking about the different parts, I was like, they were popping into my head. It's ingrained yeah. into my psyche. It's a brilliant fucking record. Mm -hmm. It's well, sometimes not I'll overrated in the least. It's just I've heard it a thousand times. Sometimes simplicity is is really a virtue. I mean, it you look at British Steel and that's actually a really concise album. And the songs are, are a little bit shorter and to the point than really on the, on the priest albums kind of before or after. 
And that means that like, when you first hear that, you're going to be hit with a lot of really memorable, really catchy, really like, there's a lot of clarity on that album, you know, like it all kind of shines through and that's part of what makes it so great. But whereas an album like Stained Class is a little bit more dense. I can see why yeah. 70s do like he grew up in the 70s were a little bit might have been a little miffed by it. Yeah. Because the progginess and kind of like the weird expo exploration of different dynamics and soundscapes kind of went away in favor of a more simple, more rock and roll structure. So I can see that, but you know, we're talking mostly about people our age and younger um, who are making up the people or who are the ones bitching about British steel. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been lectured by so many 21 year olds about British steel. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's, it, it's, 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 it, it is an interesting concept um, in that regard. And, the, the people that make me laugh the most, I think, are the Tony Martin Black Sabbath folks. <laughs> and let me let me clarify. I like Tony Martin era Black Sabbath just fine. Yeah. But when you tell me that Tony Martin era Black Sabbath is better than Heaven and Hell or Mob Rules or better than Volume 4 or better than Sabbath Bloody Sabbath or better than Sabotage, I'm, I, I, I'm not listening to you anymore. Yeah. That just, ugh, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, but Headless Cross is not better than Heaven and Hell. No, I mean, it's sorry. awesome. I love Headless Cross, but not because it's the best Sabbath album ever. No, and I that's, can, yeah, I can, and it, you don't have to compare the two. It, it's no. apples, it's there, there's such different records as apples and oranges, but I wouldn't consider Headless Cross a classic. No, like cool fucking record, but not a classic. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely like it, it, and it's cool to have albums that about which we can feel a certain sense of ownership. Like, you know, a lot of people in the world haven't heard Headless Cross. So if you really like it, you can be like, you can be talking to someone who might actually be kind of a Black Sabbath fan and be like, have you ever heard Headless Cross? And they might say no, and they yeah. might really like it. And then you can be like, oh, look, I'm cool. I introduced them to something they like. Yay. We're or, all like or, or like the cult of Born Again. Like, <laughs> there's, there's a cult of Sabbath. And, and I love that album. I think I'm a little sick of it. Like, there was a, when I first heard Born Again, I was like, this is so weird that it's awesome. And I was really into it for a long time. I am not, I don't listen to it very much anymore. Cause it's just, it is a very crazy, like abrasive album, but it's fucking awesome. But there is like definitely a cult of, of fans out there who are like, that is Sabbath's best record. Bar <laughs> none. And it's like, okay, bud. <laughs> well, everyone's got to have their hot takes, you know, people want to. Yes. I see. It's a form of performance, you know, like barroom performance. Like I'm going to say something outrageous about how Born Again's the best Sabbath album and then watch as people like have big reactions, you know. It's just a way to, to kind of show off how cool and edgy you are. It's interesting but I mean, not that people don't legitimately love that album, but you know. Yeah, I was going to say, it's interesting too how that, that specifically Sabbath has such like, there are people that can be like specific albums that are just, their catalog is just so diverse in terms of the releases and the singers and the, and the songwriting. And it's just, yeah, it's interesting how people can kind of like snag onto a specific era and just that's, it, that's the end, the be all end all for them. Mm. Or at least, you know, so let me say it is. Yeah. Let me pose this question. When we're talking about classic, like a band's the classic seminal album, what do you guys consider 
the criteria for that to be? Do you think it's mostly like the commercial sales, how big it is, how popular it is? Do you think it's the one that, you know, is it the one that makes their, that makes their, the biggest, like that makes their mark? Because with Judas Priest, you could say, well, British Steel is the one that kind of like broke them through from the seventies kind of into the mainstream. But, you know, Sad Wings of Destiny was kind of the one that put them on the map and made people go, holy shit, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I don't know. It depends. I, I, was, I was thinking the same thing. Like, to what extent is influence a factor when we're making those decisions? Are we really talking about the things that had the most impact? Or are we just talking about the, the one that contains the most like the best representation of their sound that's tends to be, I think how I'm thinking about it is like, what's the most consistent and yet what like shows off everything that band can do. It's kind of like, so in, in, in classical music, when you're going to audition for a, a role in an opera house or something like that, you always have to think about like picking the, the aria to sing that's going to show you off the best that's going to like show in the shortest amount of time, basically like show what you can do. And you also, you know, you pick a couple others too, that will contrast with that and be the thing that, that best represents who you are as a musician and what you're capable of. And I guess in some ways that's kind of how I think about it, at least for my personal reasons is like, what's the best, what's the album that best displays the band's talents and the band's particular gifts and represents them the best and most completely tends to be how I think about it because yes, I'm not a, I mean, I'm not a music journalist really. So I don't have to take into consideration which ones went platinum or whatever. Yeah. 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 The, like going back to Metallica, it's like, are you going to give someone as like a introduction to the band? Are you going to give them like the black album or are you going to give them like you said, master puppets? I, mean, I guess it depends on the person. I mean, if, I mean, I would true. never give anybody the black album myself because yeah. I just, I just don't really care for them that for that album that much. I would give them master puppets because I'd be like, well, you're going to listen to the black album. We're going to have nothing to talk about because I'm going to be like, eh, I don't care. But um, you know, it, it, the black album probably would win more people over as if they're not, if they're non-metal sure. folks. Um, and so for some cases, the bands that the, yeah, it's easy because the album is the same. I think with Sabbath, like Paranoid's their most financially successful one and, you know, probably the one that put them on the map. I mean, the self-titled before that was, it was big, but they were still a club band and then Paranoid hits, they blow up. Um, Maiden, probably the same. I mean, Number of the Beast, like, you know, just comes along, they get Bruce in the band, they explode. It's mm -hmm. still their best-selling record. Um, so a couple of these tracks, it's a couple of these bands, it's like, you know, pretty much the same um the same album all wrapped into one but in some cases it's not and priest is one of those ones where it definitely isn't well they they just did so much and they had so much diversity over the course of their career that you could make a case for so many of their albums being essential you could make a case for sad wings you could make a case for british steel you could maybe make a case for defenders of the faith uh you could make a case you could maybe even make a case for painkiller you know like it's just it, that's a they're pretty unique for that reason and i think that's for people who are really particular judas priest fans i think that's something that they really get off on is the diversity in the catalog which is different than what other bands have going on whereas some a band like maiden especially once they got bruce like they had a very particular sound which is 
it evolves, but it's kind of the same basic idea throughout all of theirs. And then it's just a matter of figuring out like, I don't know. I, I personally am not a huge fan of number of the beast, despite the fact that I, that was the first one I listened to, I think. And I like a lot of the tracks, but I think. I don't think you can argue that it's their seminal album. No, there's not an argument to be had there. That it, that it's not. That it's not. It is. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know that I'm arguing that objectively. I just think that power slave is more interesting and peace of mind is more consistent, but. No, it's not my favorite album. It's not even in my top three, but it's definitely like the, if you're talking about like a seminal Iron Maiden record, it's the one. Yeah. On the subject of Priest, we were talking about different albums, and it's interesting that uh, I would actually, if I were to recommend sort of a, an, a go-to album, maybe I'm just off on this, but I would honestly probably recommend Unleashed in the East to someone as just a gateway into the band. Totally, 100%. I would too. Yeah. yeah and it's absolutely. crazy to say that because it's like a live album, li- live album, supposedly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just like, it feels like a cop out. Like you're almost uh, recommending like a like a best of, if you will. But it just it's so good. You know who yeah. holds the same opinion as you, Rob, is Devin Townsend, because that's the that's what that we had that dis- the first time I met him, uh, we had that exact same discussion. And he said, if I was to give somebody a pre- my favorite Priest album, and the one I would give somebody never heard Priest before is Unleashed in the East. You can see, he's like it's the best sounding thing they ever fucking did, and he's not wrong. It's it's absolutely incredible and yeah it's unleashed in the studio but who cares yeah it's, it's exactly. it sounds awesome and it really i think it captures the vibe of being at a pre-show at least from the you know four or five i've i've been to in my lifetime it, it definitely captures the vibe when they're especially when they're really on um so that's a good call uh, yeah I, I think uh i think jeff black when we had him on the show i think he said the same thing and here's an, and then here's another one i mean a band that I don't, I don't think you guys are as big a fan as I am, but like the, the classic seminal kiss album is a live one. Yeah. Hmm. Like there's no question that that, that live album is better than anything they ever did in the studio in the seventies is just the, the vibe of that band with the energy that band brought live. And that's, so that's an interesting one. I mean, shit, at least the each, I, I might have to reconsider that. That's, I think you got something there. It's really good. It's really, really, really good. <laughs> yeah, it totally is, dude. Um, well, yeah, I remember, I remember Jeff brought that up because we were actually talking about Thin Lizzy at the time, and he said that Alive and Dangerous would be what he would recommend to Thin Lizzy beginners for the same reason, for mm-hmm. some of the same reasons. Anyway, yeah, so that's, that's definitely an, an avenue to take, I guess. I mean, it certainly gives you a good sort of variety of, of their catalog. Yeah, time, so. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, uh, another one's Motorhead. I mean, the, the, the Motorhead album, everybody knows is Ace of Spades. And mm-hmm. it is a wonderful record front to back. It absolutely, you look at that track listing, it smokes front to back. And not my, not my personal favorite, but that's undoubtedly, you know, but I think that's even an album that doesn't, that nobody, nobody really talks shit about Motorhead in general, just because they have so much integrity. Um, and I think that that's an album that like is considered their, obviously their biggest and their most seminal album but doesn't really get any oh i don't even like that one because you just have to love it <laughs> yes <laughs> i mean it's just so it, it really is a deep record too if you get into it and like you actually start going down the track listings it has like a lot of their best tunes on it even though i'm a big fan of the 90s era motorhead that's my weird thing is i actually think the 90s era motorhead is the best era of that band um that that there's no denying that that is just their 
their album that's like up here, whereas everything else is kind of down here as far as how big it was, how influential it was, and just how strong it is front to back. I, with, with Motorhead, I, I think I might even say, I don't know, Ace of Spades is, is super sick. Don't get me wrong, but Overkill, maybe? Overkill rules, dude. Yeah, yeah like, that fuck. album is just like, you put that on and it's just pure attitude start to finish. Yep. It's just, there's something about this, the playing, the delivery of the vocals, everything is just like, it's just dripping with attitude. Yeah, and I think all, the, all they really, I mean, it, it's a very similar album to Ace of Spades. I think the only thing they really changed up at Ace of Spades for that one is just the production. Mm -hmm. um, they got much better production. They dialed in their tones a little bit more. And I think maybe if Overkill had that same production, um, maybe it would have been, Overkill's a way better album cover too. <laughs> Like one of the coolest heavy metal album covers ever. It's yeah, so it awesome. It is sweet. Whereas the Ace of Spades one is an odd, it's odd for a Motorhead cover, but it's it's pretty fucking cool. It's just them hanging out in the desert for some reason. Right. <laughs> well, because they were going for the whole like the whole uh, Western movies thing. Yeah. You know, it even says Western movies. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite moments in music history. When he says that at the beginning of that fucking song. It's, it's so good. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just, uh, that's, what, what other bands would, would we consider that, that, that we haven't talked about? Like, well, there's, some bands are, some bands aren't really album bands in the same way. Um, and then it becomes harder for that reason. The band like, like Manowar, all right? Like you might, I mean, you might disagree with me about that, but I kind of, like in my head, Manowar is a bit of a best of band in that like every album has two or three songs that are absolutely like, top flight no heavy metal songs so. no i mean i i i love i think every album's super deep up until um i mean i even say louder than hell super deep even though it's hard to listen to it because of kid diddler logan um <laughs> but i mean the the, so the the songs in like the 2000s from like warriors of the way from like warriors of the world onward yes it's it's very much like there's a track here, there's a track there. But I really think, I mean, some of them less so than others. I mean, Sign of the Hammer is a great album. There are some weird ones on there. But I think all their 80s stuff leading up to The Triumph of Steel is, I think it's all solid front to back. There's some songs I can't listen to because they're cringy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, I can't, I'm not, I'm not going to spend it. It's too bad because it's a smoking song. Like, Warlord off of into glory ride is such a rad song but the lyrics are so problematic <laughs> like i just yeah. i just can't i can't do it and there's a bunch of them like that that you just go oh just gonna skip that not pretend it doesn't exist so yes. for me there's songs like that but i i think all those early maybe fighting the world could be a little spotty um no, actually i i kind of like that I, that's one that i actually do listen to all the way through and maybe i just need to sit down with uh or i don't know drive around with uh, some of the earlier stuff and just... I mean, ba at least Battle Hymns. Battle Hymns, sure. certainly. Battle hymns. Yeah. There's not a weak moment on Battle Hymns. Yeah. That's, that's in my top five albums of all time from anybody. Maybe the, what is it, William's Tale? Or whatever. Yeah, that's stupid. Yeah. Any, anytime, yeah. there's a, anytime there's a Joy DeMaio bass solo, you can just... <laughs> the, the stupidest one being uh, Black Arrows on, uh, yeah. on, on, on Hail to England. That's just a goddamn mess. 
And William's Tale 2 is like sandwiched between two like really great epic songs. Like yeah. Dark it's Avenger a, and Battle Him. So Yeah. It's it's very it's a very strange choice to have those on an album. But I mean, hey. A little self-indulgent. Just maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. Um, <laughs> Man, war self-indulgent? No. What are you never. talking about? <laughs> Uh, I mean, other legacy bands, or I don't know if we're specifically saying legacy bands, but, uh, you know, Merciful Fate is certainly one of them. And I definitely think that you have to put uh, Melissa on there. It's, sir, Time of the Oath, those are the two that yeah. everybody like yeah. really, or Don't Break the Oath, sorry, I'm getting a Halloween on you. Those are two yeah. like, those are the ones that everyone debates whether, yeah. and, and I would be on the team Melissa, actually. Like, I, that would be my my pick. It's definitely like, like we were talking earlier, his his vocal style and delivery is very divisive, but man, like all the riffs, all the songs, like it's all the solos, everything is just like about that album is crazy. Deeply influenced the whole generation of American musicians too. Oh yeah. Like, exactly. No merciful fate, no thrash metal. You know, Actually speaking, up. speaking of deeply influential bands, and may, we might be getting in the under little little too underground for maybe legacy band uh, discussion, but like Diamond Head, yeah, uh, Lightning to the Nations. Sure. Uh, I feel like every time I read like a interview or listen to an interview from any of those '80s metal bands, like almost every single one of them was mentioning that album as being massively influential to their sound, mm-hmm. and certainly Metallica, like for certainly for them oh yeah i mean there's a lot of bands like that in the 80s that kind of captured lightning in a bottle once Mm -hmm. and but the album remained very influential like uh i mean god here's a prime example of that is fucking anvil who made metal on metal (laughs) anvil's career is like this they made metal on metal forged in fire and then a bunch of shit (laughs) for like forever like everything after that is pretty much unlistenable um grim reaper see you in hell yep amazing album the albums after that there were some good tracks but they're pretty fucking goofy and yeah. beavis and butthead kind of like ruined it all but you know see you in hell is like it's just classic stuff um you know a lot of bit well there's a, there was a lot of bands like that that came along and really knocked one out of the park yeah. and then after that you know couldn't replicate the success or the the maybe not even success the the songwriting or just can't catch the magic whatever magic happened in that room to start that start that band off they just couldn't ignite it once again what about um manila road what do you guys think crystal logic Mm -hmm. yeah it seems like that's the seminal one but i think my favorite it i mean it kicks ass i just I, i feel like for some people who like the heavier sound or who are more into the later stuff then it it it's i like crystal logic a lot uh but it just seems like they in some ways they didn't really hit their stride until a couple years later with like open the gates because crystal logic still has that kind of funky um little traces of the like kind of former rock style they had going on yeah um i guess queen's an interesting one because i guess i mean and i would agree that operation Mindcrime is kind of their pinnacle Mm-hmm. Um, but they're probably the songs they're best known for are off of Empire as far as like you know the bigger hits like Silent Lucidity was off of that one and you know the kind of like that that's probably the one that made them all their coin then they started to suck after that but uh, it's kind yeah, of like Metallica in that way yeah 
yeah, that that's their uh, black album, if you will. Or Except I actually kind of like it. I mean, I actually think Empire is pretty good, despite the fact that it, it is less heavy and poppy. I think it still has a lot of integrity, and the songs are really good. Um, Definitely for yeah. impact, though, especially on other bands and influencing Mindcrime for for sure. Like, I mean, yeah, I think almost all a... those prog metal bands are just trying to like cop that that sound, that feel reproduce yeah. that magic on that album though i would say if i were to pick one it would be uh was it the warning the warning's sure. crazy good it's just like performances off the charts on that one yeah that's Je- that's peak jeff tate right there yeah mm-hmm. um what, what about you i mean holy diver's the big one not, again not yeah. my favorite but you know it, it's 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 I, I love that album so much so it's like you know it's 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 uh it's the biggest one. I mean, it's the one everybody knows. It's kind of his big hit. I mean, the Last in Line is kind of my favorite. But um, the production on Last in Line is is definitely a little better, and there's there's kind of an elegance that Last in Line has. But but Holy Diver has that like sizzle to it. That's yeah. kind of they didn't quite get to that level of just like the energy is not quite the same after that. So I think that's why people feel that way. I mean, all, it, like a lot of bands, it's like when you burst into the scene in that particular configuration, I guess, in the case of Dio, that, uh, that that's the album that makes the mark. And, Ho- and Holy Diver has my favorite Dio song on it, which is Don't Talk to Strangers. I think that song is absolutely brilliant. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Um, what about Finn Lizzy? Th- that seems... I mean, I think Jailbreak is the is kind of the... That's the big one. Yeah, yeah that's the big one. Um, but I've heard people... I, that's always an interesting question to ask because there's like a lot of different answers. Oh, there is. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a whole lot. Of, I mean, a lot of like the new ever traditional heavy metal kids will tell you that Thunder and Lightning is their best thing they ever did. You know? And I would... I, I think guitar-wise, I would agree. Um, like the guitar playing on that album is really cool. Um, but it definitely like you see you can hear um, Phil's health declining on that record. Yeah, like yeah. he's got that his voice has just got that kind of rasp in it, and he doesn't have quite the same energy. And it just I don't know. You can kind of feel the decline there, like you said. Which yeah. I mean, as a, I'm a fan of his, so it, that, that's kind of it's not that the material is not great because it is, but that's a little bit tough to listen to because of how ragged he sounds. Especially, especially too like i feel like the end on heart attack as well is like I, I actually in general that entire album feels pretty like i, don't, I hate to say depressing but like it's like it's a, a downer like, it is and it it's is not necessarily downer. because of the performances but just like the lyrical like the stuff he's singing about just seems really like mournful he was know. not in a good way you yeah could, he was you, not you, in a good place and you you could tell that he was not in a good way when they made that record. Um, I, I think probably Jailbreak would be their their their. I think that's yeah. That the, for the seminal album, that would be uh, that'd be the one. How about Scorpions? That's a tough one. Yeah, it is a tough one. I don't actually. I I don't know their stuff as well as I should. It's one of those that. I mean, Animal Magnetism for me, I think, is the big one, but. Whichever one Rocky Like a Hurricane is on, right? <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's 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 another that's a, that's a big band in, in you know out of Germany. Um, let's see, 
little little band out of Germany. What about Slayer? <laughs> what about what about Slayer? I mean, I think the the consensus is Rain and Blood, right? Because it just came and it, nobody was quite doing it like they did when that came out, right? It's my understanding. I'm not I'm not a big Slayer guy, but like that one just. I mean, that's the 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 one when you go on Apple Music or whatever, it'll be like essential album. That one. I, I um, feel like- I feel like too that it really would depend on where your maybe musical interests lie as well. Uh, if mm. you're more of like a of a like a thrash or extreme metal guy, or actually if you're more of an extreme metal guy, you're probably picking one of the first two albums. You're either like Show No Mercy or Hell Awaits, yeah, just because of how evil and dark and, and scary they sound. But uh, if, if maybe you're just a straight up thrash guy or heavy metal guy, uh, Rain and Blood, yeah. Yeah, Rain and Blood, I mean, it was like the fastest, craziest thing of the time. And I, yeah. and I think with a lot of the, not like I know a ton of, you know, Slayer fans, but like, you know, I hear a lot of people always uh, comment South of Heaven as being their, like, go-to. It's the most evil sounding one, I think. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of like, it, it's, it's, there's a lot of cool shit on South of Heaven. My personal favorite seasons in the, seasons in the abyss, though. Yep, that's another Definitely. one. That yeah, that's, that's a yeah. great one. It's it's the, I think it's the slowest of the classic Slayer albums, but I really like that one too. I like my thrash a little slow. I just like to feel that. Like I I really want to like feel each stroke of the the pick and the drumstick. I really like a a bit of a slower, meatier kind of thrash sound. So that's probably why I like seasons in the abyss. Is I really feel that heaviness. I know yeah. that Darren's favorite is uh, what is it? Diablos in Musica. Oh, I love that one. The one, the so I, you know, Rob subjected me to this album when we were on tour because it's a Skeletor tradition to listen to shitty albums. Yeah, yeah. Listen to like the bad albums or the controversial albums, and so and you like, know, you listen to like that or like Risk. Megadeth's, uh, yeah, uh, Risk and and the the uh, the two uh, Load and Reload and. Dude, I'm telling you, like so. And all of them were tolerable except for Diabolus. It was just like, it literally was like a deaf guy shouting at the top of his lungs. Like the whole time. He's so monotone and he's so out of tune. And I know Tolerai was never known for being like specifically in key, but holy Lord, it is, it is an obnoxious performance. It's a yeah, it's, rough album. <laughs> it's definitely rough. And I, I, yeah, it was definitely... When I was like 12, one of my friends gave me that album. was like, you should listen to Slayer. And I listened to it and I was like, no, I shouldn't. <laughs> I, think the, I think the hardest thing we did on that tour is we listened to the entire Manowar discography front to back. And it, <laughs> and, it, and it was a lot of fun until we got to the Gods of War album. And there was all that narration. And I'd actually never sat down and listened to that album front to back. I'd only <laughs> listened to like the songs that are actual songs. And you realize there's only like four actual songs in that whole <laughs> record. And the rest of it is just like weird shit. And I, I was just like, I remember all of us just being like, no, we can't turn it on. We can't skip. We have to make it through the yeah, whole thing. We've come this far. We can't go back now. <laughs> yeah, we made it through everything, including The Lord of Steel, which was oh. another. But The Lord of Steel was almost a relief after that. <laughs> in the night. Yeah, we were sitting there going, God, can we put on the Lord of Steel already? <laughs> that fucking narration shit was just going on and on and on and on. Oh, boy. I guess uh, another good one, probably Deep Purple. I mean, Burn. Ooh. Burn? I think for me, yeah. But I don't know that that's a, 
I think I think Machine Head is probably the one that people would call their their magnum opus. Yeah. Um, but Burn is my favorite. Yeah. Um, same. Yeah. And I like a lot of the I like I like some of the Coverdale stuff too. But I think people would go Machine Head as far as like calling a classic. Sweet. Yeah, I think one one thing we're definitely noticing here is that you know the seminal album is almost always part of the earlier career. And that's why I think oftentimes the seminal album is not going to be the one that the fans Inter- of the band really like. Interesting and en- interestingly enough, except for Queensryche, that was like album six. True. Yeah. So interesting enough, they really, I mean, they put out those great albums, but they really like had their kind of like home run about like, you know, seven, eight years after they got going. So True. that's kind of like the strange exception, but yeah, the, the big one tends to be fairly early. And I guess, if a band is going to have a prolific career, it would have to be. Yeah, they're going to come out of the gate swinging. Or or you're like Pantera and you put out a whole bunch of glam records and then you change gears and become like the biggest band on the planet. And then 20 years later, everyone just loves your glam records and thinks your other records suck. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's interesting uh, going through and like, you know, just plugging in the bands and like looking at their discographies and stuff like that. The older bands, just how like, prolific and just like releasing album after album after album like one album a year two albums a year in the early days and then once you hit like like mid 80s like everyone's like switching to this sort of like every two three and then by the 90s it's like even more space all right well i don't know unless you guys have any i think that's pretty good discussion on these seminal albums i mean unless you guys have anything else to add i kind of got to get rolling but uh yeah yeah I'm... rob rob before we go uh why don't you tell us a bit about what you got going on these days with uh your projects sure yeah i mean i play uh guitar in the local seattle band skeletor uh we're kind of like everyone else kind of just doing a whole lot of nothing right now with all the covid situation happening but we've been working remotely on writing stuff and hopefully later this year we'll have a uh, ep out we're gonna record and release it hopefully and then I play in a, another project uh, with Erlen Yelvik uh, from Cabeller Talk, if people are familiar with that band, uh, called Yelvik. I play guitar in that. Uh, we released an album last year in November called Welcome to Hell. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a definitely not a uh, heavy metal album. It's a, sort of like a blackened Viking metal type release. Uh, but yeah, those are the two things I got going on. And I think like everyone else that's a musician right now, we're kind of all in this, this holding, holding pattern until uh, things kind of improve throughout the world mm-hmm. before being able to kind of move forward. Uh, yeah, man. I, I Well, us and Greyhawk, we can relate to that. So yeah, um, like I said, I've actually just got a work call come in. It's a bit of a fire emergency going on. So I'm in the fire protection business. So I actually got to get rolling. Um, but yeah, hey, Rob Steinway, thank you very much for joining us on this week's episode Thanks of the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, yeah, uh, it's great that we got, the, we got this done and it was fun to talk all things metal. Uh, so thank you everybody out there for tuning in to Keepers of the Flame, the Classic Metal Podcast. And we will be back uh, next week with some shape or form of heavy metal nerdery. We don't know what it looks like yet, but we'll figure it out and we will bring it to you then. So get through the work week okay. Uh, take care of yourselves, have fun, stay safe, and we'll see you next Sunday. Looking forward to it. Yes.